Cool, bloody hell, it's hot. Welcome to episode 202 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast, and also the temperature that we are currently recording the podcast in. My name's Stephen Hill. Hope you're very well. I'm here. Also joining me, as ever, well, I say as ever, as, for the, as per the last couple of weeks, it's Sam Slight. He's here. How you doing, Sam? Hello. Uh, yeah, I'm hot. Uh, too hot to think of a metaphor, Handle? so... Too, no, not not too hot to handle. I, I think I'm quite approachable in real life, really. So, mm. you know, you're wearing uh, black, yes, and you're wearing a cap. Mm. Do you want to talk me through a black cap as well? <laughs> Do you want to talk me through that decision because it's fucking too hot for either of them things? I think Sam. Well, it's the the sheerest shirt I've got. It's one of these Metallica okay. like baseball shirts, and uh, I had to run some errands this morning, which involved being outside while it was still bearable. And I don't want my head to burn. So little, little funny, little funny thing that happened this morning to me. Went for a walk. Woman, like power walking behind me. I was like, get up really early. Got up like half seven. Went for a sort of going to go for a stroll around before it gets super hot in the village. Um, it's so hot, my door has melted. I can't lock my door. So if you want to come oh. and rob my house, <laughs> if you know where I live, then this is the week to do it. When my door has melted pretty much off of its hinges. That's how fucking hot it is. Um, but a woman was like power walking behind me and she's like, oh my goodness, it's too hot, isn't it? And I was sort of strolling in my shorts and my sort of very thin white t-shirt and she had jeans on, she had a long sleeve top on and she had a scarf on. What? She had a fucking scarf on and she was going, oh, hot, in it? <laughs> too hot. Yeah, wearing a scarf. I don't know why I wore this parka today. <laughs> Maybe I'll unzip it and take the hood down. Are you mad? What are you doing, woman? <laughs> I thought she was going to be like, I'm dude. Like my mate used to, who was in absolutely phenomenal physical shape. Shout out my mate SDF. Um, he used to do a run on the treadmill uh, after work for like an hour, but he'd wear like three layers of clothes and he'd wear like a, an Adidas tracksuit top and he'd do the hood up and he'd tie it up really tight. So he would just be sweating ridiculously. But he does look like one of them Love Island people. So it's working for him. Good for him. I mean, Any I think this lady power walk. No, yeah. no, no, sorry, I don't. Like, I'm sure. I'm sure he's a very attractive <laughs> man, but you know, uh, th this is what people tune in for. Um, no, <laughs> that, I will just say on the power walking woman. Who power walks in jeans anyway? Any time of year. That's just that's weird. Well, yeah, I mean, in a scarf. Well, yes, a scarf as, as well. well. I mean, the quite... scarf was the mad. I mean, the jeans. I would. I think like because you would go jeans, a long sleeve shirt. Like top, like a jumper. She was wearing like a jumper. Mental. It was mad, Sam. It's mad. I just thought you'd not how you can't. Don't moan to me about the weather. You're not helping yourself. People just they just won't help themselves, Sam. Anyway, uh, enough about this. Yeah. Um, also, Pompey have lost out on Colby Bishop to Blackpool, and I'm furious. So I'm starting the day furious. I've seen a stupid woman. It's too hot. My door's melting. We got one striker coming through the door at the club. It's not a great way to start the show, Sam. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not a great way to start the show. No, I the mean... mood you, I'm in. You are visibly seething, so... <laughs> I am. I absolutely am. Anyway, fuck that. On this week's show, we're going to be talking about new music from Ithaca, from Rizzo's Bobby Digital, from Oceans of Slumber, and plus, the day that this podcast goes out, the Friday that this podcast goes out, it's actually the 23rd anniversary of the start of the infamous Woodstock 1999. So look, we're not saying we're going to try and sort out all of the issues that happened at Woodstock 1999, but 
the lineup to that festival was something that people went, did this contribute to the chaos, which we'll be getting into in a little bit. So Sam and I have gone, maybe this could have been booked in a more sensible way. So both of us have fantasy booked Woodstock 99, and that's what we're going to be doing later on. Should be good, right? Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great fun. Mm. Uh, I think when I get to my first pick, it will become evident that this is my last week on Riot Act. <laughs> He's going out. He's going out, going out in, in style. In, style in drama and uh probably i don't know i was gonna maybe you're gonna alienate people maybe maybe not sam maybe not anyway um before we go any further we should say a really big thank you to our sponsors at arctangent arctangent.co.uk go over there and you can have a look at their website which is quite good it's got a man with a beard playing the guitar which is very very on brand for them (laughs) i would say they've got a brilliant lineup um i mean i was gonna say if it's hot there you'll be able to stand under a tent and it will sort of cool you down if the weather's like this. I imagine it will probably rain. So it also will save you from the rain as well because I think it traditionally always does rain at Tangent. Don't quote me on that. Um, anyway, look, it's a great lineup as we have mentioned every week pretty much. The likes of Opeth, Cult of Luna, Tesseract, Zelenada. Cult of Luna probably don't want me bigging them up too much after what I said about them last <laughs> week, but fine. Uh, Mono, Eamon Ra, Perturbator, Ditto from last week, although I was quite nice about Perturbator, to be fair. Alcest, Devil's Side of Soul, McCluskey, Lightning Bolt, Jamie Lenman, Caspian. Is is there anyone from this lineup, Sam, just to ask you, just to sort of bring you in here, who is the person or persons, the artiste that you are most excited about seeing at Arctangent from that whole lineup? I don't know if you've got it in front of you. I've kind of put you on the spot here a bit, but is there one artist that you're like, fuck, have to see, must see? There are so many. I mean, I think I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, it, even though I've only been once, I'm happy to say it's my favourite festival. I think the lineup this year mm-hmm. is just undeniably brilliant, basically from top to bottom. The one for me this year, though, Godflesh. Ooh, that's a good shout. Yeah. That is a good shout. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see Godflesh. I can't wait. I'm going to get my head kicked yeah. in by my mate Paddy during Christ Bait Rising. It's going to be great. Bloody hell. Yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> He's promised. Imperial Trump and a- we, we should say as well, uh, by the way, Imperial Trump and a Pain, Art Tangent, no shade on them. We were going to review their new album, which Sam and I both listened to. Frankly, it's too fucking hot to listen to music like that, isn't it? It's too hot to listen to our Imperial Triumphant in this weather. It really is. Um, I think there are other reasons beyond that. Uh, we won't go into them now because we're not going to actually review it. But yeah, it's just, no. it's not the right, it's not the right climate to be listening it. to that kind of dragging, crazy avant-garde black metal jazz fusion. And yeah, all right, bit of a cop out, but fuck it, it's hot. Feeling like you are actually melting while listening to music, which sounds like the world is melting. Uh, that's not for me. No. Unfortunately. But I'm really not looking for forward me. to seeing them at Art Tangent. I would be very, very keen to see how they pull that off live. And they've got masks, haven't they? So they're playing as well. Go to arctangent.co.uk forward slash tickets. Buy a ticket. And when you go to the checkout, you can put Riot Act ATG into the checkout. You get 10% off your ticket price. So I really don't see... Why I don't even like why haven't you done that already? I don't understand why you haven't done that. It's mad. Anyway, thanks to them. Uh, also, go over to patreon.com forward slash right podcast and you can sign up for exclusive content, exclusive content that Sam and I have been putting out with as much regularity as uh, as has been humanly possible for us over the past couple of weeks. Last week, we were saying we did a classic album on Deftones around the fur that's available for anyone who signs up for any amount but usually the five pound tier of classic albums that gets you two classic albums a month we've decided because Sam's kind of 
keen to do another you were quite keen to well you were certainly keen to do this record we had a little chat and we were like should we just squeeze one more classic album out and we're going to be doing what I believe is your second favourite album ever. Is that right, Sam? Oh, not quite. I mean, it's top 10. Okay. It's most, it, top 10. Yeah. Oh, I'm maybe forgetting the conversation, but go That's on. That's quite all right. Uh, reveal what you've picked anyway, because it's good. I will reveal it. So you're all going to want to sign up for the Patreon for the classic albums here, because we're going to do motherfucking Evil Empire by Rage Against the Machine. I just love that record. It's amazing. So much. I can't even begin to start describing how much i love that record it's fucking amazing and if you're like whoa 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 what about the first regents machine album yeah yeah obviously i'm not an idiot we're not idiots we know that's brilliant but we've decided to do evil empire we're kind of going in the rage back catalog sort of backwards or just ignoring renegades um and yeah that's what we're going to be doing so go over that's going to be on the five pound tier around the fur classic album we suck it out on to anyone who signs up just to do something nice Depeche Mode Ultra, Ultra, did I just call it? That is not what it's called. Ultra by Depeche Mode is up as well, as is You and Me by Open Hand, which has got a really, really good reaction. People are really like, yes, this band are great. We put a Riot Tears review up about that record. It is a fucking brilliant record, and I'm glad that so many people seem to remember it. Absolutely, it's a stunner. And yeah, it's so cool to see how many fans they apparently have. I mean, obviously, within the episode we were talking about, where did they go? Where did they disappear? And it seems like there are so many more people out there than I certainly ever envisaged who would uh, who remember them and, and adore them, to be honest. So hopefully this might kickstart open hand being a thing. I would love that. I would love that. I've never seen them. Well, I say I've never seen them. I have never seen them with this material. I think I mentioned the only time that I saw them was supporting Poison the Well in about 2003, and that's before this record came out. And then they went full kind of psychedelic stoner, desert rock thing with bits of indie bits great record just a great record if you have not listened to that record then really really you you should go and listen to it some people were properly like yes mm. this is as good as anything queens of stone age have done and a few people were like whoa 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 that's big words it is big words and i mean i wouldn't say it's as good as anything queens of stone age have ever done i still think rated r is fucking amazing and even self-titled but i think it's the equal of everything else queens and yes i do mean songs for the deaf think it's equal of everything else that queens have done personally yeah but they have done some shit as well haven't they let's be honest queens of stone age yeah it, it's not been plain sailing for them but uh yeah i fully back that hey Ooh, fully back it i think yeah smooth sailing that wasn't it the song yeah. sorry i thought it was a pun it wasn't yeah i was gonna I'm gonna ignore that but fine uh yeah you and me by open hand fucking brilliant go and listen to it and then sign up to listen to us talk about how brilliant it is for your benefit yeah for your but it's, it's all for your benefit <laughs> You've got to spend money to make money, to make yourself happy. And what could be make you more happy than listening to me and Sam going on about fucking Vietnam by Rage Against the Machine? So sign up. That's what we're going to do. Anyway, um, just to change tack slightly a little bit here. Uh, in the news, there is a couple of sad bits of news and just a fucking absolutely mental piece of news. We should start by saying RIP to Paul Ryder from the Happy Mondays. He passed away last week at the age of 58, which is, you know, uh, incredibly young. And, you know, it's no age to die that. Uh, it just says, there's not a lot of details about what's actually happening as we record or what had happened as we record. But, um, you know, Paul Ryder, obviously, Sean Ryder, who is very very famous he's the sort of famous one it's his brother but 
I think of two things really mainly when I think of the Happy Mondays. I think of Sean Ryder's very unique voice and very idiosyncratic lyrics. And I think of that danceable rhythm section and Paul Ryder brought that really danceable rhythm section sort of popping to life with the Happy Mondays. And, you know, look, I am not going to sit here and say I'm a massive fan of the Happy Mondays. I think they have a very good greatest hits set. I actually weirdly listen to Pills, Thrills and Belly Aches, which is, I think, really considered their best album um, in the aftermath of this happening. And, you know, there's, if I'm being completely honest, it's, it's a fair bit of filler on, on that record. And I think, you know, they they were quite hit and miss and they're, they're sort of beautifully ramshackle. It's almost quite charming how sort of ramshackle the Happy Mondays are or, or were, I should say. But um, But kind of throughout everything, there's a really sort of unique rhythmical pulse to them that Paul Ryder brought to the band. And, you know, the the melding of acid house and guitar music, they're kind of the definitive band for that, I think. And there's so many things that they did in the, the mid 80s going through to the early 90s that sort of helped to bring those two tribes together. I mean, I think Primal Scream probably gave that movement its definitive sound. New Order probably formulated it. But if you're looking at a definitive band that sort of represent that thing, I think the Happy Mondays would probably be that band. And I think Paul Ryder played a, a huge part in that. So, you know, very sad to, to hear of his passing. Sam, I don't know if this is a little bit before your time or a different sort of genre to what you'd be interested in, but anything to say about the Happy Mondays or Paul Ryder at all? Um, I don't know that I've got loads to say um, kind of specifically about their musical output, you know, both um, both Paul's and, and the Happy Mondays as a whole. Um, it's it's not a genre I particularly investigated. It's not one that's ever really appealed to me. But, I mean, we were discussing um, just yesterday uh, the kind of impact of the man and the band um, that he was a part of. And I think it's pretty undeniable that whether you like the music or not they were such an important part of that scene as you've rightly said um i think so culturally important to the development of british music particularly in the in the manchester scene you know they were part of that madchester kind of boom and everything and i think you know they wrote 24-hour party people the film about factory records ends up being named after them and they're they've made an indelible mark on this country's musical culture i wish i could speak more to it um but yeah, it, it, it's it's a very sad occasion. It, yeah, it's sad. It's really sad to see. And, you know, I think anytime someone from one of those bands who's a sort of really kind of integral, important part of one of those bands goes, you do sort of look back at that legacy and go, you know, you, you consider what the legacy is. And I think with, I think, that, you know, like you say, with Happy Mondays, it is a big one. I think when, like, you're obviously too young to remember this, but I do remember the sort of slew of baggy post-Happy Monday bands and that style got really boring really quickly because nobody had that sort of football fan working class edge that the Happy Mondays brought. They really, they were, they were a bit like, you know, I mean, it's a completely different thing, but you know, sort of Corn invented new metal and then it got boring because everyone just couldn't do it as well. That's sort of what happened with the Happy Mondays, really. And like I say, you know, not the greatest band of all time by any stretch of the imagination. Like, really not. Um, but certainly a really interesting one. Certainly a really fun one. Certainly a really unique and identifiable one. And certainly a very important one to, as you say, the sort of 
the um the 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 movement of the culture and the sound and the look of of what british popular music became in the late 80s and into the early 90s so yeah very very sad to hear about paul Ryder. um and like you say he wrote the baseline for 24 hour party people i mean that is a hell of a baseline and their their greatest hits is fucking great so r.i.p to him i know you wanted to talk about uh another sad thing as well which is the passing of marius Lewandowski. yeah i mean i'll i'll keep it brief because obviously you know it's it's never fun doing these obituaries but i think marius Lewandowski got you know a surrealist painter um really really greatly embraced especially in the last sort of last decade or so by the um post-black metal scene particularly the sort of avant-garde end of it i think the piece that most people will know him for is he uh created the artwork for mirror reaper by Bellwitch, and so if you're ever in you know a record shop or just browsing on streaming or whatever and you see one of those beautiful watercolors that's got that real kind of threatening edge and there's some giant figure looming in the background that's imposing upon whoever the kind of subject of the painting is it's almost certainly going to be a Maris Lerondowski piece um you know he did stuff for Abigail Williams uh Psychroptic uh so many bands like really Lauren prolific Shaw, artists I think recently oh did it oh I, I mm. may not have seen that piece but yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised to be honest I mean he was really gaining a lot of deserved traction because he had a, clearly an incredible talent and so yeah I, I I've seen a lot of people really respond to it this with a real amount of despair to be honest because he was such an important figure and i think he's given that scene i mean i'm not sure i'm not sure you can really call it a scene there's such a sort of disparate amount of bands but i think if there is a center point or a linchpin of it it was marius Lerondowski's um artwork i think it gave that scene the aesthetic that that it was after and he encapsulated the sound of of those bands so perfectly with his <laughs> quite terrifying at times but also very beautiful artwork i think the mirror reaper album cover is fucking amazing i mean i don't know that we've ever spoken about that band or that album in particular on the show before but i i I really like looking back at it you know it's absolutely fucking amazing like really really amazing it's uh it is like you say it looks so beautiful and yet so imposing it's a great album cover and people who really get the aesthetic of metal being you know people who who really really get the the aesthetic of metal and and are able to kind of get the band's intention and to kind of mirror the music and for for the whole package to come together in such a way i think is uh it's a rare skill in artists so yeah he definitely had that so um yeah that's uh that's very sad news as well so r.i.p also to marius Lewandowski. right um i'll tell you what before we get into it let's uh, have a quick chat about some of the records that we have been listening to this week and start with they fear us by ithaca the second studio album from the hotly tipped by me i have to say by me probably by you as well sam you like ithaca right Oh, bloody love them, mate. I absolutely love Ithaca. Uh, I don't know that I've ever had enough of a platform beyond banging to people in the pub in Leicester about how good they are. But, you know, I've been shouting them out, definitely. Mm. So this is the follow-up to the 2019 album, The Language of Injury. The singles from this album had me getting rather excited. I think, obviously, it feels like this is a time for this band to make some kind of statement release. You know, they were not really spoken about a lot and then the last album saw people go oh okay yeah, yeah that's exciting and now 
with that happening, you would think the the most sensible thing to happen after that was for them to be pushed towards the higher echelons of our scene. Get them on at the old download festival. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that will happen, but it should do. It fucking should do. That, that's what should really be happening. Um, but yeah, this feels like one of those times where you go, this is a band who are keen to make a clear and obvious step forward and upward into a different kind of league stroke category. Do you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, when people hear this, they they will instantly understand exactly what it is you're getting at. And I think um, without jumping straight into it, I think Download is a very, very good shout for this band. I mean, who knows where they'll play? I mean, obviously, deservedly should be on the main stage, but that's probably not going to happen. No. But yeah, I think um, this is a statement piece. And my my slight concern, I think, going into it, and it was foolish concern anyway, because it's Ithaca. They were already a really impressive and band using a lot of diverse influences and melding them all together. But I did wonder, are we going to get the language of injury part two? And I'm very pleased to say that is not what we've got. No, we haven't really, have we? I mean, just getting into it. So what's good, right? Kicks it off. The riffs are harsh. Mm. These are harsh sounded riffs. And Jamila which I hadn't really heard before, has put some great sort of clean bits. There's some cleans on this. On the first couple of tracks, the main thing that stood out for me, I was like, these riffs sound harsh, sharp, savage, rough, kind of odd sounding as well. And Jamila, her voice sounds better in general, just just stronger and more confident and broader sounding and harsher when it needs to be harsher but also those cleans coming in they really popped you know this is essentially metalcore this record it's metalcore but it does sound like metalcore from a time when the metal and hardcore was still very prominent and present in the mix and from a time when the singers in these bands jeff from poison the well jesse leach howard jones could actually sing actually sing i'm not talking about people who can process some clean vocals to make it sound like they can hit a couple of melodic notes. You know, I'm talking about people who can actually sing. I'm not talking about high pitch whining, cookie cutter, high pitch whiny. That all them post hardcore emo metalcore bands do now. I'm talking about someone who can actually, actually sing. And I was shocked to learn with all due respect to Jamila, that she is such a good singer. Like an actually good singer. She is a fantastic singer. I mean, I think, you know, we already knew she was a fucking savage, hardcore vocalist on the language of injury. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad you've said it, you know, again, with all due respect, Jamila, if you're listening, <laughs> I didn't know quite how to approach this because I don't want to come in and say, oh, I didn't think she had it in her. But I am floored by how incredible her clean performances on this album and not to mention as you say you know the harsh vocals are still brilliant and i think one of the things that really comes through is that confidence and it's so much more clear and precise and even just down to like diction and stuff like that you can really hear and feel mm -hmm. every word whether she's screaming it shouting it or you know giving these kind of radiant soaring melodies in the cleaner bits i think uh, jamila has absolutely smashed it on this album yeah, I mean, this like we'll go back to Jamila in a minute because I think there's a few things to say. But mm. certainly, like the second song, "The Few Says Thank You," has this breakdown, and it did feel like Poison Well or Hopes Fall or one of the Trustkill bands I used to like. And I always say I hate metalcore, right? 
and I do like today I do but when I say I hate metalcore what I mean is I hate the elements that have been phased out of bullshit cookie cutter metalcore for so long and the breakdown and how harsh those riffs sound and how good her voice sounds those are things that I don't think you really hear in when I get sent a new metalcore album which is just you know like kind of incremental steps away from architects like year on year on year and you know i so i went into this being like ah you know am i even that interested in this type of music and how do you make these albums good right well for me the riffs have to be memorable or at the very least interesting the songs have to be adaptable and to change and to not stick rigidly to a similar pattern um i want surprises in it i want dynamics i want a vocal performance that is a mixture of if not completely pop hook filled at least memorable in the right places and also in the surrounding areas savage right in other places and what i've just described is camera eats first and i think that song is fucking brilliant it's all of that stuff it's absolutely all of that stuff that i've just said done to the kind of level that I think it used to be done when I was first listening to to this type of music. It's really, really, really good. It's masterfully done. I mean, um, Sam Chatham Walsh and Will Sweet's guitars are just, they come in like an absolute sledgehammer. I mean, people will have heard this song. This has been released as a single, but so you'll know that they're bringing their absolute kind of brutal nous to the fore on this song. But it feels so good to listen to. And, you know, Don Moss and James Lewis, their rhythm section is just cataclysmic, holding it all together. And when it gets to that kind of quiet section towards the end and goes full guitar here, it's like, well, there's so much going on here. Like, I, I know you'll say, I mean, it is it is a metalcore album in the, in the truest sense of the mm. word, and it is a fucking brilliant one. But I think there's a lot more going on here than just metalcore. As you know, you would expect from Ithaca, they didn't seem like a band who wanted to play it safe, even, you know, back on the language of injury. Um, they, they're not resting on their laurels. I think for me, the, the biggest kind of, it's not necessarily a notable change, but I think there's a lot more emphasis on the metal side of metalcore yeah. on this album. There are riffs on here, um, particularly on uh, like They Fear Us, the title track, and number five, where I'm hearing like Roth era Lamb of God. Like there's some real fucking swinging grooves and these amazing riffs that run up and down the fretboard, um, but never feel overly flashy or showy they feel like they're at, they're there for you to have a good mm. time and bang your head to and they just serve the song so so well number five i mean they probably won't like this the woke pricks but it does sound like pantera like it's sat to yeah. me i was like this is dimebag daryl not phil jamila don't worry <laughs> um but that kind of dimebag southern flair thing that he had I was, and the, just the monumental groove I was like, that's fucking Pantera, man. Mm. That's pure fucking Pantera. And, you know, people get people get compared to Pantera a lot. And I would say this doesn't actually really sound like Pantera. I mean, there's some cremation party, and I was like, this is like if Killswitch Engage were a deathcore band. Fucking banging. Mm. And I think nothing really sounds exactly the same back to back. Like, you get Fluorescent coming in after number five, and it's like a it's sort of emo-y with, you know, sort of early emo-y with these kind of clean vocals that actually pop. And again, like, if you're going to do clean vocals, they've got to pop. You've got to find some kind of hook on this shit. Like, I, you know, that's why Killswitch Engage play Brixton and Unearthed play The Underworld, right? 
I love Unearth, but they're clean bits when they come in. They're very rare. But when they come in, they don't pop. They don't grab you. Kill switch engages do. And that is, you 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 cannot underestimate that. I'm not talking about these modern bands, like a lot of the sort of modern bands who try and who go, oh, well, we'll just do a clean bit because that's what kill switch engages do. And it's like, you can do that, but you've got to have a fucking chorus. You've got to have a reason for putting that clean shit. You can't just go, oh, architects do it, so we'll do it as well. Yeah, but you've got to write a chorus, mate. And on this, it's like, fucking hell, these clean bits really, really stick in your head. And the amount of times I've listened to one of these bands, I'm like, oh, this riff's all right. This riff's up, but it's good. It, this will live and die on how catchy it is. And it's just not catchy. So much of this is fucking catchy. And it gets broader and more kind of, I guess, quote unquote, experimental as it goes. Um, you know, You Should Have Gone Back is the longest song on the record. And it's fucking great it's like a proper fucking journey mm. and then we end i mean could go back to jamila i don't know if you've got anything to say about those last few songs i was just talking about sam sorry i've just steamrolled in there that's you got quite right. to add to that uh, i uh, i'd just like to say on you should have gone back starts off with that long old guitar hero intro like you can see mm-hmm. sam and will on a mountainside fucking shredding and it's like it's so glorious to hear and it's when I said uh, in the intro, you know, I think your download point is spot on. I think that is the moment in the album where it will all make sense to everyone. And then on repeat listens, you'll be like, oh, yeah, they should be playing these big stages because they've got these songs that do have these massive hooks that are going to translate so well to such a big audience. Um, but, yeah, I I would like to talk about Hold Be Held, the final track. Uh, but I'd like I think I think you were about to jump into that. So I'll let you go first. Yeah. So it sounds like Madonna, basically, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, Jamila going full-blown Lisa Stansfield, 80s power ballad loveliness. Hitting some fucking Kate Bush notes at the end of it. I did not see this coming. No. I did not see this coming. I mean, there's putting the kind of slow one at the end of the album, which some metal bands tend to do, and it being like, oh, yeah, yeah, you've done the slow one. But this is so good, this song. And it does feel like such a... It feels like it's been coming. If you listen to the album all the way through, it's not like, here's here's 10 heavy songs and the 11th one is a piano bit with loads of acoustic guitar. Mm. No, 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 no. This feels like it's been coming. If you listen to the record, it feels like it is building up to this last song. And at no point do they go, oh God, oh shit, we better put a heavy bit in now. This is This is a fucking 80s synth pop power ballad fucking and and it's fucking great as well it's fucking great and jamila's vocal range on it goes up again like when she's hitting those super high bits i was like fucking hell at the start half an hour ago i didn't know you could do soaring emo metalcore like clean vocals and now you're doing whitney houston like do you know what i mean it's fucking great yeah i mean i laughed when you said madonna but you know it's it's a really astute point i mean it is it's it's yeah 80s anthemic balladry but delivered in the kind of 2022 contemporary you know kind of sphere like nous uh of the of the modern age it doesn't feel like a throwback it doesn't feel old and tired or retro futurist or revivalist or anything like that and it still feels distinctly ithaca even though it is you know it's an about turn if you were to listen to that track in isolation you think fucking hell they've changed a lot haven't they but 
it's it's yeah it's absolutely fucking brilliant and as you say it is seeded throughout the entire album with those little clean passages that get more and more kind of grand and a little bit more intense as they go on um i'd like to shout out on this track as well i mean as you say i don't think we can say enough good things about jamila's performance on this she is an absolute fucking star on this album kills Kills it, it man kills it um i think sam brings some fantastic backing vocals and he, he does the kind of low gut rolls in the early songs and then his clean mm-hmm. vocals on this song as well didn't know he had mm-hmm. it in him no. <laughs> and they sound fucking brilliant together it works so well yeah i i this might be my favorite track on the song uh, track on the album even um and it it is different it is an about turn to an extent but yeah it's not one you couldn't see coming if you were listening properly to the preceding half hour hmm yeah, it's really good. Now, I'm just going to lay my fucking cards on the table here with you, Sam. I did not see this coming particularly. I have to say, right, now, a little bit of it, this is me. Because we've done, uh, well, since you've been on the show, we did um, the Malevolence record. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is good. Not really gone back to it. I've gone back to it a couple of times. A couple of weeks ago, we did the Conjure record. Like, you know, the Conjure record is cool, right? They're They're great. You know, I love those guys. I love Maya, like I genuinely love Maya. I listened to the new one and I was like, this is really, really good. I'm not quite sure that it's the sort of thing that personally I really want to be listening to in my personal life at the moment. And I kind of thought to myself, am I going to be going into this Ithaca album and going, I really like those guys. They're sort of making music, which I am a little bit fatigued by at the moment. So I'm not like, I'm not that, not that i'm not keen on it or that i don't think it's very good but i'm not sure that i'm gonna go back and listen to it right and so i thought i was gonna have to be sort of i guess polite about it like to be perfectly honest i probably won't listen to the new conjure album very much because i just don't know when i'm gonna feel like i want to listen to that like do you know what i mean that's no reflection on its quality i just don't do you know what i mean i'm just not that Mm -hmm. bothered by that sort of thing at the moment but this is fucking blown my brain like i i don't i'm i'm not saying this because i'm like oh well we've had jamila on the show and we've been nice about this band before this is fucking brilliant this record it's fucking brilliant i think of all of the british bands that have brought out a record this year conjurer venom prison runner tomasi um conjurer i've just said conjurer um sorry not uh, malevolence yeah, all of those bands this is definitely my favorite one. Oh, 100 percent. definitely 100 yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I think this is yeah an absolute barnstorm of record this is stunning and it's so so accomplished and so diverse and you know i i i fucking loved the language of injury when it came out and i do still go back to it I, I can see this massively massively superseding it in my listening queue if i'm ever thinking oh, i want to listen to mythica i'm going to be going for tracks off this i'll listen to this album in full you know it's, it's 35 minutes five seconds i think and it flies mm. by it's an absolute breeze you know and it's it's so much fun but there's so much to it as well you know it's not a fun quote-unquote album there's a lot of depth to this and i feel like the more i listen to it the more i'll get from those lyrical passages because you know jamila's got some biting fucking commentary going on here um, mm. Yeah, the, uh, I, I back that. This is the best of that crop of British bands. I think this is the best one of the year. Yeah, I think it definitely is. I mean, you know, like I've gone back to Language of Injury and listened to it after listening to this. And 
it's a bit like how I felt with Forever and then Underneath. Like I was like, Forever's amazing. It's so good. It's brilliant. Mm. It's brilliant. And then Underneath came out and I was like, oh, it sort of makes that record not seem as good now. Mm. And I think the language of injury sounds <laughs> like in comparison, sounds not bad, but just a little bit more amateurish. Do you know what I mean? It just sounds a little bit more amateurish and a little bit more um, sort of unfocused and, and all that stuff. I, you know, it, 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 there is no comparison. This is clearly a better... You know, when I said, oh, I think Maya's better than... You know, or I enjoy Maya better. Like, I think there's an argument... You can have that conversation about which is better of the two Conjurer records. Mm. I don't think there's a... This con the conversation would be three seconds long between the language of injury and they fear us. There's no argument to be had. It's, it's so comfortably better comfortably better and i would also add i was like is this just me listening to less of this stuff and like i said to you before when we did malevolence am i just listening to less of this stuff so when i hear it i go oh yeah i love this actually this reminds me how much i love this stuff i went and listened to a bunch of the more hyped bands from i guess sort of broadly speaking this scene so i went and listened to ice nine kills who i don't like anyway mm. and i was like okay so they're like a big metalcore band at the moment ice nine kills What's going on with them? Do do I listen to that and go? This is I, and I was like, this is rubbish, fucking rubbish. Listen to Spirit Box, fucking rubbish, rubbish. Like not interested in it at all. Just listened to sort of a couple of songs with both of them and was like, I am so bored. I know what's coming. This is so fucking bland. Like, oh, you like Freddy Krueger? Oh, you've got Blue Air. That's it. That's all. I, I can't get my head around why people like those bands. Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense to me. This reminds me of all the shit that I liked when I was growing up. All those Trust Kill bands, all those Equal Vision bands. It's got one foot deeply rooted in that stuff. And I'm never going to get bored of that style. I don't think the two bands I mentioned before, I don't think they have anything to do with that. Then they've got anything to do with it at all. Um, but also, it is borrowing from, as far as I'm concerned, far cooler, far better, far more interesting outside influences than you know, horror and fucking gent. Do you know what I mean? Like, pff, it's a fucking no-brainer for me. Like, this is just better. Better than any of those bands. Better. They're just better. Yeah, they're better than the shit you like, you idiot. <laughs> well, hold on, I wasn't saying that. <laughs> I am. Um, okay, that's fine. You say that, but yeah, brilliant. really good. It's not out until next week, but we thought we'd do it now just because I think we're sort of excited about it. So it's out on the 29th of July. It's called They Fear Us. It's by Ithaca. You should go and listen to it. Rant over. Right, now, let's talk about our next album. Rizzer's Bobby Digital. Bobby Digital and The Pit of Snakes is the brand new studio album from the Wu-Tang genius as his alter ego, Bobby Digital, a persona he has been releasing albums as since about 1998. Uh, this is also the accompanying soundtrack to a graphic novel of the same name, which is Rizzer's first graphic novel as, a, as like a Bobby Digital graphic novel um which you see it happening in music quite a lot now i think it's a pretty cool way to get fans of two different mediums together i mean i don't really know what the story of the graphic novel is so you know i didn't really know exactly what i was going to get but you know i still sort of thought i know enough about rizza and his life and his work to have a good guess but this certainly isn't a pure hip-hop album at all really plenty of soul and rock and indie and lots of other things going on here before we get into it sam wu-tang clan the rizza you uh you're a fan you got any kind of 
pre-existing relationship with him as an artist? <laughs> I would broadly say as a white middle-class man from Leicester, or living in Leicester anyway, uh, not much of a relationship. I've listened to the first th- the first two Wu-Tang Clan albums um, mm-hmm. a fair few times. I mean, they're obviously incredible. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not here to review them, and there's no point. Everyone knows what they sound like already, or you know, what most people do. I didn't until recently, <laughs> yeah. but there we go. Um, yeah, uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I'd be able to say I have much of a relationship with RZA's music, particularly. Uh, but yeah, this this excites me quite a lot, and uh, I think it it really makes me want to go and check out his other Bobby Digital stuff, particularly, and um, it, you know, his broader solo works as well. Um, yeah, because it's a- he's got a few he's got a few great solo albums. To be fair, like Riz and Jizzle when they did something together, and uh, I fucking forgot the name. But my mate used to play it all the time. I was like, this album's brilliant. Um, and it might be the first time Wu Tang Clan uh, or members of the Wu Tang Clan come up on the show. To be honest, but like, yeah, yeah, he's good, right? With Riz, but you know, he lends his name to a lot of stuff. So I couldn't tell you every single solitary thing that he's been involved in because trust me mate he's been on a lot of mm. stuff he's even on a dog eat dog album oh brilliant well yeah it was brilliant to me yeah fair. i'm sure um yeah it was it, it was really good um but yeah so this i mean that's fine so basically you're kind of coming into it i suppose knowing a bit of who he is and that's about yeah it. i'm aware of him as a person not really sure i could speak to his kind of oeuvre prior to this he likes rock music I think he likes rock music quite a lot. Now, that's fine. Glad he likes rock music. Doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be that good at making it. So, you know. I mean, he opens the album up. Acoustic, guitar. Hip-hop's moved on a fair bit since the Wu-Tang Clan at their their prime, sort of flow-wise. He's got a recognisable voice, though. I think, like, he's got a recognisable voice. You hear it, you go, ah, it's RZA, right? It's flow his cadence his delivery his tone all of those things that kind of like rah, rah, like sort of face chewing thing that he does you're like oh yeah yeah Riz are cool right so if you're a long time fan i think you would go oh there he is good to hear him still sounding kind of like he always did and um on that opening track which is called under the sun uh i was like oh that's sort of all right and then some cheesy chorus man <laughs> comes in and sort of ruins it a little bit you know uh i actually quite like the cheesy chorus man like i obviously rizza particularly on this song i mean he is the star of the show i think it's it's an interesting one you know you're throwing out kind of um rock and indie and obviously obviously there's hip-hop and stuff in there um i think this sounds i don't know it's almost got a kind of soulful like countryfied feel it feels like you're the beginning of a western you know kind of yeah that- there's a lot of western in this mm, a lot of western a lot of like morricone spaghetti western sax and that kind of like twangly guitar there's quite a lot of that in mm, there i mean there's even some jaunty kind of piano ditty bits on um troubleshooting the second song which i found mm. an in- interesting choice it is an interesting choice i mean the thing about this is is he's Rizza or or Bobby Digital, he isn't even necessarily the lead component in all of the songs, mm. which I think you know I said this when we were I think did I say it when we were reviewing Kendrick maybe I'm not sure we were reviewing some hip hop record a while back, and I said you can get away with quite bland production if you have a fucking masterful MC at the front of a hip hop album, and I stand by that. I feel like this is sort of the opposite where there's been a lot thrown into the production, but they've not really utilised 
the sort of lead component or what I would have imagined was the lead component of it. He almost feels like... Do you know what it reminded me of? This is a fucking weird comparison. But he reminds me of Maynard on that last Tool album where he's not always there. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like you go, where's Maynard? And sometimes I was listening to this and I was like, where's Rizzo? He's not even... Where is he? Like it's his thing and he's not even here that much. So... You know, like, I thought troubleshooting's good. I mean, it gets pretty heavy towards the end. I mean, it gets kind of legit a lot heavier than I imagined it would get. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, his, his vocals and... get to that real aggressive point that I know he, you know, can do so well. He said that kind of chewed face thing. Um, I think on troubleshooting, what, there is a heavier moment towards the end in the kind of second, like, sung break. Yeah. Where the kind of, I don't know, the guy who's maybe from a, I don't know, Naughty's emo tribute band comes in and kind of ruins it a little bit, but um, yeah, it does it does get comparatively heavy towards the end of that song, and I think yeah that it's diverse and it is dynamic, but I'm not sure it always is that well executed. I think that's the thing, isn't it? I think when you get like something going, so something going on is like a sort of pure soul spaghetti western, like a kind of Morricone horn Latino rhythm soul song and i was like oh this is great i like mm. this right this is really good and again it sort of seems to exist in whatever the world of this graphic novel which we have to like just hold our hands up and go we haven't seen the graphic novel haven't read the graphic novel don't know what that is and when it gets sort of cartoony because wu-tang have always been very cartoony really do you know what i mean for all the kind of oh they're so dangerous and like gangster rap and blah blah they've always like really leaned into this kind of cartoony you know shaolin yeah, monk yeah fucking kung fu thing like they love all that shit right so when you get we push i really like the kind of the hammond organ and you know that there's there's a lot of hooks in cowards and you get a kind of alex turner indie crooner coming Mm. in at that point you've sort of swapped the the emo man for a kind of indie crooner thing and you go it's definitely not straight hip-hop and it's kind of it's bold enough for it to be interesting but it's not all good. I mean, there's a song called Fight to Win and it sounds well cheap. It sounds like kind of shopping centre music. Yeah. It sounds like a sort of like the karaoke backing to an 80s rock song. Um, and there's no amount of RZA that's going to save the production or the style of that, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, Fight to Win's a kind of weird amalgam of these like sweeping synths and jangling guitar. It's like, I don't know, it's like, someone's put Willie Nelson and Van Gelis in a room together and then you get a fucking reed instrument coming through I don't know if it's an oboe or what but I don't need that that's just weird in the middle that's a really really strange about turn like we were talking I was mentioning about turns on the Ithaca album that's an about turn it really is yeah yeah it it ends in um, it kind of fizzles out a bit doesn't it I mean look there's some good stuff on here I think there's some good stuff and I, I do like Rizzo and I like the fact that he sounds pretty much the same as he's ever sounded. Um, it's a bit like Lulu, I suppose, because it's a story that we don't know. I've not read the graphic novel. And we're like, well, who are all these other people? I have no fucking idea. So I can't really judge it too har- harshly. But I just think th- if my main criticism is this could do with more RZA. This could do with more Bobby G- Digital. There's not enough of him in this. Yeah, and... Um- it's bizarre isn't it there is so much of sort of everyone else and everything else going on and then rizza you know some i mean so on troubleshooting i think he's probably only on it for i mean i just think the song's about three minutes he's probably only on it for about 30 seconds 
Troubleshooting is two minutes and 59 oh, seconds. Oh, I guess. But yeah, he's not on it for long at all, that song. But then, no. it's weird. <laughs> There's so much of it where I want Riz to come back in. And then, on something going on, I could kind of do without him entirely. I think the choral vocals are so strong on that <laughs> song. And it's like, I don't know what I want yeah. from this. <laughs> it's just, it's it's a really bizarre, quite it's quite a mess of a sort of soundtrack accompaniment. But at the same time, as I said at the top um, of this little review segment, like it does excite me because he's clearly, you know, just throwing everything at the wall, having a bit of fun. It's like, well, I'd like to hear him when he's doing something a bit more focused because he's clearly got talent. I mean, <laughs> fucking obvious statement of the Obviously, year, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is a bizarre little record. Um, but I, d- I definitely don't hate it. No, I don't hate it. I, I kind of want more RZA. I mean, maybe I'm being great, but then, you know, like w- when you get an album and you're like RZA as Bobby Digital and then you're like, you're not actually on it that much. And I think there are certain little, you know, the experiments, you can't have a go at someone for experimenting. And this is probably the time mm. to do that. If you're going to do a graphic novel soundtrack, then yeah, you know, this would be the time to try out doing all the mad shit you want to do if it's representative of this graphic novel thing that's happening. Like, yeah, yeah, that makes absolute perfect sense. I back that entirely fine. I just think that when shit isn't quite working, you're like, I need the main man back here to sort of sort this out. And when it doesn't come, I think it's very clear. His ab, his, when it's not working, his absence is so clear. Yeah. Yeah. the, the silence is deafening to, to quote napalm death mm. um but I, <laughs> yeah i think this it's a thing it's a weird little um it's a curio i suppose i think the thing that really stood out to me though is there's a real kitchen sink approach to what is ostensibly a well no it's literally a gra- graphic novel accompaniment i never thought that i'd think mm. about rizza and coheed and cambria at the same time <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's true yeah yeah but it's cool, like you know, like fair play to him. It's a it's a funny little album. It's only eight tracks long. It's quite short, you know. Like like I say, it's eight tracks, and you know, there's two of them of the eight that don't even tick over the three minute mark. Like the like the outro. I mean, again, the outro. I'm just like, mm. oh, yeah, don't know yeah. about this. It's a bit weird. It's one minute thirty nine. Bit of a waste of time. Even even in something so short, it's um, still Surplus unnecessary to, to have that outro. Yeah, but it's not bad. This it's absolutely not bad, and I think the good bits are, re- you know, are really cool. And if you're a fan, you're probably going to want to listen to it, even though he has done a lot of stuff. So that's Rizzo presents Bobby Digital and the Pit of Snakes. That's out now. As is the last album we're going to talk about before we get into the Woodstock stuff. Oceans of Slumber, Starlight and Ash, the fifth studio album from the Texan metal band. The follow up to their 2020 self-titled album. We reviewed that. I don't think we were as keen on it as some of their other material. Me personally, I really love 2016's Winter and I really love 2018's The Banished Heart. But I didn't really take to the last one quite as much. I thought it was good. I thought it was good, but I haven't really gone back to it. I think I was pretty keen on it and I was like, yeah, yeah, this is cool. But I kind of felt like maybe I'd heard all the tricks the Oceans of Slumber had in their locker on that last record. Um, Sam, are you a fan of this band? What's your sort of relationship? Uh, I am a fan of this band. Um, I I discovered them not long after the release of Winter. Um, I think uh, I think it was. Oh yeah, where did you uh, discover that? Um, Metal Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want to say, do you? No, I don't, don't want to say. Um, but yes, I discovered okay, them in 2016 fair. via a podcast. Um, and you know I've followed them mm. since um, 
never had the pleasure of seeing them. I'd really like to. Uh, I can imagine they're, well, certainly one member would be a hell of a performer. Not to downplay the rest of the band, but um, Cammy in it. I mean, she's a star. She's a star. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Bloody Loved Winter. Banished Heart. To be honest, I recall liking, but I don't think I've gone back to. I was actually quite keen on the self-titled in 2020. Um, but again, you know, mm-hmm. it's not an album I revisit often. So I'm not going to, you know, nail my colours to the mast and say, no, no, it's brilliant. And, you know, any kind of criticism should bounce off it. Um but yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying about we'd kind of heard all the tricks before by that point. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I, I loved Winter and I thought when I, for whatever reason, 2018, you know, there was a little period where I wasn't listening to much new music. And I think it came out then. And I heard it in the aftermath of that. So I heard it about a year later. And I bought it on vinyl. I was like, God, this is great. This is fucking great. She's like obviously mm. amazing. But I thought the band, you know, they could be heavy, they could be really soulful, they could be really smooth, they could really be delicate and beautiful. And yeah, and and that's what they could be. She's a superstar, no fucking doubt about it. And as soon as the opening track, The Water Rising, The Water's Rising, sorry, comes in, you are struck with just how great Cammie Gilbert is. She has been the special source in Oceans of Slumber forever. And she sounds incredible here. And I was listening to it and I was like, God, she's good. God, she's really good. And the production's very good. Everything sounds sweeping and lush and it gives us so much room to breathe. But I was like, I'm not really sure that this song does much other than let her do her thing. You know, fine. It's kind of classic, quiet, 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 getting incrementally louder sort of thing. I didn't think it was an amazing song, but I thought it sounded great due to that very, very unique element that they possess as a band is that harsh do you think no i i completely agree and i actually think it's not a bad summary of the record as a whole to be honest i think they've you know they have really leaned into the softer more soulful edge i mean it's it's basically a kind of gothic americana album this where the band have been kind of dealing in prog and death doom and stuff like that in the past i think they've you know they clearly know Cammy's their bread and butter, and they've leaned into that so hard. Um, that opening song, Water's Rising, <laughs> just for the first few seconds, I was terrified because when the electronic throb and the kind of twinkly pianos come in, I was like, oh my God, is this going to go all evanescence? Fortunately, it doesn't. It stays much more kind of classy uh, than that, and I think it has a lot more gravitas. Um, And I think it does more interesting things than other bands you could compare this album to. Um, In The Water's Rising, when the, uh, I think it's about two and a half minutes in, there's probably the drums start going double time. And that, really, really exciting, really engaging. Um, And I think, yeah, it kind of, it does sum up the whole album. I think there's a lot of sedate songwriting that leans into the star of the show. Um, Sometimes you know i'm I'm left wanting more there there are heavy songs on it well there's a heavy song on here um star altar but uh yeah mm. um i <laughs> i still don't know quite where i land on this i really enjoy this album i'm not sure if i enjoy it as a, as an oceans of slumber album or as a a cami well now beverly solo album yeah i mean look the second track comes in you go, that's cool. Sort of quietly post-punky shoegazy stuff happening at the start of the second track, Hearts of Stone. Again, quiet, quiet, 
let Cammy take the lead and sit back kind of deal, get a bit louder as it goes. Then the lighthouse comes in. Oh, it's got a kind of country cowboy thing to it. Again, quite musically minimalist. Cammy completely in charge. Feels like another vocal showcase. But she's amazing. She is amazing. And so it goes on and on and on. Every song, all very slight, all very quiet, and the band taking something of a backseat to her. And look, I get it. She's great. She is the best thing about your band. Definitely. But I'm going to need a little bit more from you, to be honest, Oceans of Slumber, mm. as a band. I'm going to need a little bit more from you because I know that you're capable of doing more than that. This is not bad musically, but it's an hour long, just under an hour long. Sticks to a formula and just shows lots of different ways to be slow and quiet and minimalist and remain in the background. Take the lead now mm. and again, lads. Like, take the lead. You are good enough to do that. I feel like it's a lot of pressure on Cammy to be the star of the show throughout. And look, you listen to this album on headphones. The production is lush. Everything is in its right place. It's perfectly pitched. It's perfectly mixed. It's perfectly mastered. It sounds lovely on the ears. The songs are not bad songs, but every single song quiet 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 might have a bit of a loud bit i mean you mentioned uh, song star that you alter. mentioned um star alter yeah you know like that is a little bit different and i'd also say you get to the final track the shipbuilder's son and that is a little bit more heavy mm. and a little bit more raucous i mean raucous isn't quite the right word but a little bit more aggressive than the rest of the record there's a cover of the house of the rising sun on here which is you know, that's the song by the animals that has been covered mm. so much and done to fucking death. And I do not need another rock band, another metal band covering that song, to be honest. And the acapella bit at the start of it, it just, it's fucking John Lewis advert. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like you, you, you're going, is this a fucking one of them John Lewis yeah. adverts ones? Yeah. And it comes after just a day, which, I mean, I did go Evanescence mm. to that. I was like, this is fucking Evanescence. This is like, her on the piano. Do you know what I mean? Her on a piano. Uh, you know, it, it's it's not bad and I get it. And I can kind of see them probably commercially doing much better than they have ever done before on the strength of this record because it doesn't really feel like that much of a sort of challenge. Do you know what I mean? I think it sounds, it just sounds nice. Like I put it on, I'm like, this is good. It's not bad. It's not phoned in. But it's obsessed with this one idea. It just feels like it's like, how many times can we do this exact formula and let Cammy fucking turn it into, you know, weave gold out of it? And I think you should be doing more. Like, this late into your career, this deep into your career, when you've already done that with albums before, I don't think you should be relying on that for an hour without ever deviating from it. Yeah, I, th I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, it, it is just a kind of... It's a nice album to listen to, and there's not a load more to it than that. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. I mean, it sounds daft that I didn't consider it, but I think there is an undue amount of pressure being put on Cami on this album, and it's like... I mean, I, I'd like to assume that this was a democratic process in the writing uh, amongst the members of the band, but... Yeah, you'd think there'd be a bit more room for her to breathe, um, quite literally, not in terms of like giving more space for her performance, because her performance is, you know, stellar across the album. 
there's no denying it. But um, yeah, I'm pretty disappointed by this one, to be honest. I feel like this is quite an underwhelming next step. I was hoping after the self-titled that, that they would do something different, and I'm really glad they have. I applaud them for doing that. Um, but it's it's all pretty unremarkable. They've done something... By doing something different, they've ended up doing something the same, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, doing something that other people are doing. Yeah, and it's just the same thing over and over. And honestly, if you played me this... Like, when I listened to Winter, I listened to it and I went, that sounds like a band, right? When I was listening to this, I couldn't shake the feeling in my head where I was like, if you played me this and went, is this a band or is this a, or is it a solo artist? I'd have thought it was mm. a solo artist. And I know that's a weird thing to say because you're like, well, what's the fucking difference? Like, But you know, when you just go, well, that's a, like certain things. Um, when you listen to a Lady Gaga ballad, right? She's got a drummer and a bass player and a pianist and all that kind of, she's, she probably is a pianist. She's got all the other things, but it sounds like a solo artist. Whereas mm. when you listen to a a Metallica ballad sounds like a band that's the only way that I can kind of describe it and this to me sounds like a solo album it it just does yeah I mean I, I get what you mean I think for me when you say uh, for me the distinction between a band and a solo artist and I think you're right I, I said at the beginning this feels more like a, a Cami solo album than it does Notions of Slumber album I think the difference is a band has several distinct personalities in there a solo artist is just the one and the instrumentation plays to their strength and that's exactly what this album does yeah it really does it really really does uh yeah you know it's not a bad record i mean it's actually like a, i think it's quite well made but i just like it's it's just i'm not really very excited by it sorry and i you know i think there's songs on it that are really good an ep of this I'd have gone, oh, what an interesting, cool little, slow, quiet EP by Ocean mm. to Slumber, but 58 minutes of it. Mm, not so much. Anyway, Starlight and Ash by Ocean to Slumber. That's out now. Go and have a little listen to it. So, as the day this festival comes out was the start of Woodstock 99, we have decided to talk about Woodstock 99 a little bit because we sort of touched on it. I think, you know, the, the documentary on Woodstock 99 came out at the start of the year and there's obviously been a lot, a lot of criticism about Woodstock 99. Loads over the years. You know, some really bad things happened. People died. People were abused. Things were broken. There was a lot of criminal damage and it's clear to me uh, that whilst people like to pin the blame on the you know the the people attending the festival and the artists attending the festival i personally think that's a fucking nonsense too many metal mm. bands too many metal fans well it never happened at ozfest never happened at dynamo never happened at the warp tour like do you know what i mean i mean it happened backstage mm. at the warp tour obviously but uh <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. am i is that, is that a fair thing to say sam that you know like this is not what happened at woodstock 99 cannot be blamed solely on the bands or obviously everyone has to take responsibility for themselves and if somebody broke the law in some way then they did do that and 
you know that that is obviously we're not condoning that at all but there was a fervent atmosphere and there was bad planning and there was uh, a real lack of respect for other people at that festival and it's kind of gone down as a sort of like a a, a late 90s new metal version of Altamont where the, the Rolling Stones festival which obviously ended in tragedy as well I think um that's got much more to do with the troubles at Woodstock than the bands that played at Woodstock 99, right? Oh, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, it is, um, yeah, a logistical nightmare that led to people being desperate. And unfortunately, obviously, there were people who took advantage of that desperation and people who, you know, did some horrendous things there. But I think to blame it on the bands, and I, I think I'm not a fan of them, but I'm happy to stand up in defence of Limp Biscuit. They seem to be the ones who get most of the blame for mm-hmm. it, uh, for you know inciting the riots with stuff like break stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a little on the nose, but I don't think it's fair to. I don't think it's fair at all to blame the bands. To be honest, I think you know you look at the reports of what happened and the kind of retrospective analyses of the festival and you know the lack of basic facilities, the lack of food and water, and you know it's in it's in the United States at the end of june it's like so it's going to be fucking hot or july sorry even not june god it is hot. i'm my <laughs> calendar's melting away out my brain mm. but yeah um i think it was uh, a kind of melting pot of just bad decisions made and then the bands ended up being scapegoated um as you say you know people do have to take some level of personal responsibility but you can't ask festival attendees who probably weren't allowed to take anything in with them to provide their own food and their own water and their own shelter when you're sat in a field that is just open to the elements. Not even, not a even a field, a fucking military airbase. That was it. Sorry, yes, no, it wasn't even a field. Was in it? Like yeah. the hottest fucking period of the year, with shit coming out of the toilets and water mm. running out, and people just being penned in and charged loads and loads of money. Like it was, you know, it it was a disaster, right? It was a disaster and. You know, did it really live up to the kind of glorious utopia of what the original Woodstock was meant to be? Well, you know, the, the original Woodstock had its problems as well. Let's not forget that. So I can kind of, mm. I can slightly understand. We're going to be looking at the, the, we're just going to kind of caveat it by going, we're not kind of downplaying anything that happened at the festival. But I think I can understand why it was booked in that manner, you know, because Woodstock, the original Woodstock was booked to kind of represent contemporary taste. And so was Woodstock 99, namely Kid Rock and that. And I get that there's a place for that kind of thing. But I think to me, it overlooked the fact that there were plenty of very, very big name, big selling artists that actually would have been perfect for that festival if they had wanted to keep a through line and a vibe of the original festival intact. They kind of did it a bit in 1994, they did it a lot less in 1999. Um, for example, only three women played across the entire weekend as artists in their own right in Woodstock 99. That could have been very, very easily remedied. So mm. we've decided to sort of jump on that theme and book the entire festival again using our own brains. Now, we're not saying that the artists weren't asked or weren't thought about. Like This isn't us going, why didn't you do that? Like Why didn't, why didn't, why didn't you book Dying Feet as the headline download? Like, we're not doing that. Maybe these artists were thought about. Maybe they did try and booked. Maybe some of them weren't available. Maybe some of them said no. But we've taken away all of those reservations and made it so that the artists that we have wanted to book would have been saying yes, were they available. Um, 
we have a couple of rules can't bring anyone back from the dead um we kind of can reform bands i think you've reformed a few bands have you sam uh i haven't in the end but okay. i did want to know if we were allowed to do okay so. all right well let's say that we we aren't allowed to i mean i've th- there's a slight caveat to that maybe but we're not gonna if it was incredibly unlikely then we haven't and um we're using the tools of that period of 1999 at our disposal only three days two stages um and six bands per stage this is riot act me and sam booking the west stage which was the second stage and the east stage which was the main stage on friday saturday sunday to create what we think would have been a better representation of woodstock in 1999 so we'll start on the friday with the west stage um which is the second stage sam do you want to give me your second stage lineup from opening act to headliner uh in in that particular order and then we'll see how mine stacks up against it (laughs) Okay. <laughs> <Go> um, <on. laughs> so uh, I'd just like to caveat I have I've broadly themed my stages and if you need justification okay. I have I Look I can justify every single one of these of artists. Of no, no, that's fine. Good. Go for it. <sighs> <laughs> my festival opener is Neurosis. <laughs> <laughs> you mad cunt. All right, fine. Go on. Yeah, yeah. Followed by uh <laughs> Slipknot, then Phantomass. Aphex Twin, The Prodigy, and headlining would be Orbital. Fucking hell. Fucking hell. Right, okay. Well, that has taken a massive old turn. Like, talk me through all of this, (laughs) Sam. From Neurosis to Orbital. I can kind of see it. Like, weirdly, I can kind of see it. But but go on. So, my, my thought for the running of the stage is, I wanted to, you know, obviously, 99, metal was almost at the apex of the biggest it would ever be. And people were up for more experimental and artistically uh, kind of diverse bands. So the kind of through line is from that real extremity into the more kind of contemporary extremity of the electronic variety. So that's kind Mm -hmm. of my through line there. So my justification for Neurosis opening Woodstock 99. Um, I wanted to pick an underground band with a lot of touring experience, a lot of festival experience as well. They're a few years on from their magnum opus, obviously through Silver and Blood. By this time, they are on uh, Times of Grace. God, f- fucking drew a blank there. But they're on Times of Grace, so it's a more palatable album, but they've still got that ferocious extremity that I think... More palatable. Would scare a lot of people off. Same sentence. More palatable neurosis. Anyway, go on, go on. I told you this. Yeah, no, no, no. Fine, go on. You're right, act, mate. Um, so that, that's neurosis. Look, I'm not going to win you over that. Okay, fine. Oh, mate, you're, you're not, not going to win me over. Like, I mean, you go. Oh, fucking course I'd go. My God. <laughs> yeah, I would love it. And look, you know, neurosis have previous than this, right? Because they opened the yeah. OzFest. Now, I know that's exactly. different. Completely different. But, <laughs> you know, they, they have played opening acts at a big festival on a big stage before. So I think they could do it. I think they could do it yeah i do yeah i mean look obviously on paper when i say oh yeah neurosis are going to open up woodstock like obviously like you everyone's going to laugh but it's like i think there is enough reason and there's enough of a kind of underground groundswell that an experimental art metal collective act like that could go and fucking smash it it'd be horrible don't get me wrong they'd bring a horrible show but it's the last woodstock ever so yeah. fuck it go out of the bang yeah <laughs> start with a bang so uh, right, so on Slipknot, 
obviously a massive amount of hype surrounding that band at the time they uh just the month less than a month prior released their debut album but they built up such uh you know kind of a rabid fan base and i think there would be you'd be hard pressed to think of a more kind of hotly tipped new 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 metal band both spellings of new in there correct yeah and of course they've got that kind of in you know inescapable kind of chaotic stage performance at this time so i think they're a good lead in from neurosis something again a little bit more bearable for the woodstock goers Mm -hmm. we then move on to phantomass so i wanted a kind of an experimental this might be madder than neurosis phantomass by the way yeah it might be yeah it might be (laughs) but i wanted an experimental choice to kind of bridge between the heavy start and the the even more avant-garde sensibilities of the next artist being Aphex Twin. Um, I think the reason I put them at this point on the day um, would be, obviously, by this point, Mike Patton had achieved, you know, stardom with Faith No More. And yeah, he tried to sabotage it, so he's not going to be the biggest draw in the world. And Faith No More had ended after the um, album of the year cycle by this point. So not exactly the most popular band in the world, but I think enough people would go for Patton. Aphex Twin. He's on the Window Licker EP. Yep. And he's got that devoted cult following. He's got a lot of critical adoration. And I really wanted to give him a chance because he got his set cut short in uh, 1994's Woodstock. He did. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Yes. Good. So yeah, I've done I've done yeah, my I know you have made about good, this, yeah, Steve. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, The Prodigy um, as main support on the West stage. Um, still riding high off the success of Fat of the Land, you know, released in 97. Surely, surely they'd be a huge draw. And they've still got that aggression that I think the day started with, but in a more contemporaneous way through their electronic and rave culture. Um, And finally, my headliner for this stage for this day uh, is Orbital. They headlined Glastonbury back in 1994. Um, They are on the middle of nowhere at this point, which released on the 5th of April in 1999. Wasn't a huge success in the UK, don't know well i know that it wasn't the biggest album of theirs in the u.s and that's why they're on my second stage as opposed to anywhere on a main stage across this weekend because they're a respected band they've got that electronic you know panache i think it'd be a fun and interesting end to that first day on the second stage i'm gonna pull you up on this um go on fat of the land went to number one on the u.s billboards chart oh for fuck's sake so and the middle of nowhere went to number around, 11 then. on the US Heat Seekers chart. So, ah, swap them I around. I think then. you're going to have to swap Prodigy and Orbital. Other than that, absolutely fine. Other than that, I think that is a that is a, I mean, fuck me. I'd go to that. I think that'd be amazing. That sounds fucking great. I mean, it probably only it would only be me and you. Well, no, it wouldn't. I mean, the Prodigy got to one. number 1 people. The thing is is that you you put a band who've had a number 1 album in the US headlining the second stage with a bunch of things that are also, you know, Orbital did pretty well, Apex Twin did pretty well. People will turn up and see Neurosis. I think people would be intrigued by Slipknot. Phantomers, mm. dunno. I mean, no one really paid that much attention to Phantomers. I think, again, yeah, like Patton, it was a sort of a draw. But I think in 1999, a few years after Faith and More split up, I'm not sure exactly how sort of cool the rest of the world thought he was. I think they were, you know, because Faith No More, as we said when we did Album of the Year on a Writer's Review, people did just sort of drop Faith No More quite a lot. And I think there were a few years where Patton was doing his own thing 
and there are a few people that were like no 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 this guy's amazing i know i was one of them but you know others sort of not so much bungle weren't really thought of as a big deal around this time they were fan of this tomahawk hadn't really happened yet but you know look would watch definitely would watch thank you you're, you're you're very magnanimous steve that is my weirdest stage don't worry yeah don't worry that's fine so <laughs> my picks for the west stage on this day i would start with wayne kramer so the mc5 did not play the original woodstock but they were perfectly positioned to have been there at the first woodstock because he is from that generation i think the mc5 would have been a fucking great band to have seen at the original woodstock um, Wayne Kramer had been touring with the Melvins he'd been touring with Bad Religion been touring with the Vandals he'd just released a live album called Kick Out The Jam Motherfuckers he's playing all of this music people fucking love the MC5 like, I, you know everyone was covered. everyone from Monster Magnet to Rage Against the Machine to the Presidents of the United States of America were covering MC5 songs and I think they always had a reputation of being like a cool band from the past even in the alternative rock era like them and the Stooges and the New York Dolls people did still go they're cool and the Ramones like they're cool they're cool they are cool so I think Wayne Kramer would be like a lovely little nod to the original Woodstock even though he didn't actually play it I just think he's from that generation that would work I'd follow it up with Jurassic 5 um, Jurassic 5 were a lot more successful in the UK than they were over in the US at this point they would go on to crack the US Billboard Top 200 a year later with Quality Control, which is a fucking brilliant album. But I just think they're such a great... Like, I've seen them a few times. There's not enough hip-hop on this lineup For something that was so big, there wasn't enough hip-hop. And I think around that period, hip-hop didn't always play live or didn't always... hadn't always quite learned how to be great live. Jurassic Park... Jurassic Park, Jurassic Five, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park, Jurassic Five were fucking amazing live. Even like I saw them in '98, they're amazing. So I think that would bring like really good summery, sun-filled hip hop vibes um, to that stage. I think then Placebo, Pure Morning had been a bit of a hit in the United States. I think they were on the soundtrack to the film Cruel Intentions. Um, on uh, on uh, they're actually the first that was the first track on that album. Cruel Intentions was a big film, wasn't it? Ryan Felipe, Sarah mm. Michelle Geller, Reese Witherspoon. Um, good film that, and I'm pretty sure Americans might be a little bit confused with the you know the the glam sort of uh, androgyny of Brian Molko, but you know they had enough songs that were big at the time for them to uh, to, to to break through, I think, and to, to be a good booking. And then I would follow that up with Moss Def. Um, again, more hip hop. And I think the right kind, like, I don't want to sound like an arsehole, but the, you know, like the hip hop that they did book, like we've all seen um, DMX's set at, uh, at Woodstock 99. And it's fucking aggro as fucking, yeah, great and everything. But I think there was a certain type of hip hop that would have been far more suitable to the general aesthetic of Woodstock 99. And Moss Def, um, was just about to release Black on Both Sides and everyone sort of had been raving about Black Star and I think again he would be an excellent enjoyable fun unifying thing to see at that festival subbing my headliners would be Fugazi now this is a long shot mm, this is a long cool. shot because do Fugazi want to do festivals let alone corporate festivals on a u.s military air base that is like the reanimated corpse of something that happened 30 years ago probably not probably they didn't want to do that 
But like I said, they're together as a band. They don't have the choice. I'm telling them that they've got to do it. <laughs> so N Hits had been the third consecutive album that Fugazi had got in the Billboard Top 200. And at this point, they'd sold nearly 2 million albums in the US. So they're a big deal. I mean, like I say, I doubt they'd agree to do it, but they, they don't really get the choice. I think Fugazi would be exactly the kind of rock band that you would want to have at Woodstock personally. And I, I think, you know, they're they're a big enough deal that it would make people be like, yes, good, Fugazi. And headlining this stage, I'd have the Black Crows, who had just released By His Side, which made it into the top 30 on the US Billboard 200. I mean, yeah, you know, you could argue they were kind of past their peak at this point, but they had such a massive collection of songs. And they're much bigger than the US than they are here in the UK. They were a big band. Shake Your Money Maker was like a massive, massive album. And they were all getting compared to the Rolling Stones and stuff. And I think that crowd that they had, that kind of hardcore crossover crowd, even though people didn't really go for Three Snakes and Charm and Amorica and those albums as much in the US, I think if they went out there and did a greatest hit set, it would have been fucking beautiful. And they fit the aesthetic, that kind of 70s rock thing that they do really, really fits the aesthetic of the original Woodstock. So, yes, my stage on that day would be Wayne Kramer, Jurassic 5, Placebo, Moss Def, Fugazi, Black Crows. What are you saying? Lo- lovely stuff. Um, my only query on that, I mean, I know it is the smaller of the two stages, obviously, and, you know, it is going to attract a, a, a smaller kind of batch of artists. Do you think Fugazi are big enough to be subbing the Black Crows in 1999? Yeah, I think they are. I think they just chose not to be. They sold two million. Fair enough. Two million records sold in the US. Do you know what I mean? I think they they were capable of playing arenas in the US. Were but, they? Yeah, they were capable of it. Well, they I just know. chose not well, to yeah, for yeah, a lot of the time. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of that is down to a lot of the sort of our food guys who that big comes to the fact that they don't really want to play the game that don't much, be. and that's yeah. absolutely up to them. Um, yeah, I think they are. I think they definitely are. I th- and you know. They're the sort of band, again, with this sort of Woodstock thing, thinking, well, we want to get like cult bands with cult followings and strong followings and, you know, bands who kind of mean something. And I think just Fugazi tick all of those boxes, frankly. I mean, you get no arguments from me on their suitability. I was just um, curious about kind of the, the lineup placement on that one. But mm. no, sure. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's move over to the, the East stage, the main stage on the Friday. Uh, do you want to go first or shall I go first? Should we swap the swap around with these? Uh, yeah, yeah, you go for it. Okay, go for it. Right. So, this is my main stage lineup for the Friday. I'm going to open the main stage on the Friday. Imagine this first person you see at Woodstock in 1999 Tina Turner. <laughs> Tina Turner, oh. right? So, James Brown was on the bill originally. And I just thought, I want to top that booking because that is a great booking. That is an amazing booking. Tina Turner was just about to release her last album she'd just done a bond theme imagine turning up at a festival and the opening act on the main stage is fucking tina turner in 1999 with all them hits all the shit she's done that to me is a fucking no-brainer you want to get you know i've gone for sort of someone older someone who'd be considered a sort of legacy booking and to open up the whole festival she is obviously bigger than 
a fair few of the artists I'm, <laughs> I'm about to talk about, but you stick them mm. there. You stick them there because you're like, this is a statement opening for the main stage. And, you know, Glastonbury do it with the kind of legend slot. I know that's kind of in the middle yeah. of the day, but for me, you know, if, if James Brown is able to open the open the, the main stage originally, like, who you're going to get is going to be better than James Brown. Not many people. Neurosis. Neurosis, yeah. <laughs> Cult of Luna. Um, so I've gone for Tina Turner. Following Tina Turner, uh, the Foo Fighters, who were just about to release mm. There's Nothing Left to Lose and were just a brilliant, sunshiny festival band at this point. They weren't absolutely massive. You know, they were sort of middle of the day on the main stage at Reading uh, a year or so before. And they still hadn't had that massive arena breakthrough thing that was going to happen for them in the next year or so and then turn them into a stadium band. And this is just begging for them to go and absolutely smash it, right? I mean, Nirvana were meant to do Woodstock 94. So there's a little bit of history there, obviously, with Dave Grohl. It's a sort of, you know, to me, I look at Woodstock 99 and I'm like, it's absolutely mad that the Foo Fighters weren't there. Absolutely insane that the Foo Fighters didn't play that festival. I don't get it, but they should really be playing it um one of the few people i've kept from the original festival is alanis morissette and you know someone did say to me like yeah maybe you probably rather have seen her a few years before at that point and yeah fair enough she'd sort of peaked as an artist already hadn't she in uh, in the aftermath of jagged little pill but saying that supposed former infatuation junkie still sold three million copies and went to number one in the charts the year before this festival and she did play the festival and she was fucking mm. massive and she would be great and so i'm keeping her on the bill because she deserves to be there um stone temple pilots would be coming after that they were just about to release volume four which would be again a big selling over a million copies in the us stone temple pilots as far as i can tell were never really tagged with the uncool grunge brush in the same way as some of the other bands were you know wayland was doing appearances on limp biscuit albums and i think there weren't many of the the grunge bands who were sort of considered still contemporary at that point i think it's something they mentioned in the, the the documentary about woodstock 99 about how pearl jam felt like you know old music in a million years ago and i don't think stone temple pilots actually kind of you know they were they were doing the family values tour and stuff like that so i think they managed to sort of swerve that a little bit i mm. think they'd be a good booking uh sub in my headliners and this is rather controversial i've picked rem so Ooh. up was something of a commercial failure for rem mm. around this time hence why i've only got them as sub headliners they did actually headline glastonbury <laughs> which is arguably a far bigger festival than woodstock uh that year that summer mm. Um, but in the US, yeah, again, you know, I think REM might have slightly been thought of as yesterday's men a little bit. I know they were absolutely fucking massive, but I think you book a massive sub-headliner to push the main headliner. And my main headliner are a band I'm keeping as well. I'm keeping Corn headlining that bill. I'm keeping Corn. That footage of them playing at Glastonbury, uh, Glastonbury, sorry, Woodstock in 1999 is wild. And I would not want to take that away from them. When he says, are you ready? And fucking everybody's jumping up and down. I wouldn't want to erase that from Korn's history. It is fucking great. And looking at the venues they're playing, look at the cells that they're playing in their career. I mean, they were actually below Bush 
who headlined proper on on this day uh, and bush weren't selling anywhere near the same amount of records as corn at that at that point they were nowhere near as contemporary it's mad that bush played above corn that's it's crazy so i'm bumping corn up to main stage headliners i think that's a strong stage tina turner foo fighters and asthma set stand table pilots rem corn bosh have it yeah you, great i'll go to that i mean yeah, yeah. tina turner i mean ew, is she going to be happy opening i know you can sell it to her as a legacy slot in our kind of fantasy festival booker but that is um, what i do yeah. yeah yeah all right all right yeah. very persuasive I, sam and i, I think i, I could persuade tina turner you're also very very intimidating as yeah, I well, I wouldn't can tell when you're looking at zoom she's but. had enough of that throughout her life i wouldn't intimidate her don't oh, worry she doesn't so. deserve that anyway go oh, on um yeah. what have you got uh for the for the friday so for my friday east stage i wanted to represent i think what i feel was the other big musical force in 1999 so this is a hip-hop stage no oh <laughs> you, you, you undercut me there sorry <laughs> go on sorry no don't worry um so uh now obviously there was a lot of contention between east and west coast hip-hop so i've tried not to make it too contentious a lineup However, I have right. started with the West Coast pick. They were on their fourth album, released the year prior. They weren't uh, the biggest commercial draw in the world, but they were still, you know, a very respectable band. A lot of fun. People would have had a great time watching Cypress Hill. Oh, it's a great shout. Yeah. It's a great shout. Of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the four had been released um, to, well, if you're being kind, a mixed reception. Um, the sales didn't necessarily... You know, they weren't terrible, but they were not at the peak of their powers. Um, so I feel they'd be the opener because then you lead into um, the kind of new kid on the block just released his debut album, which uh, by the end of 2000 had been certified four times platinum. I'm keeping DMX there. Fair, mate. I mean, yeah. again, you know, you look at that footage and you go, would you want to erase that footage? Not really. Precisely. He, sm- he smashed it. Like, it is great, that whole set was great so yeah i, I got yeah. no beef with that he absolutely smashed it and i think it serves as a good lead into um the the east coast peers who would follow in his wake on that day um by this point seven times platinum across their two albums massive amount of critical respect it's the wu-tang clan right okay yeah yeah I i've mean, got no no i'm going to come back to this but yes can i go on okay all right um I, I I think it's fair to say they were in something of a popularity slump at this point because um, doing my research, I saw there were uh, perhaps even an oversaturation of releases from the various members in solo projects, mm. etc. You know, doing all their kind of wild flights of fancy, and maybe there was a bit of Wu Tang fatigue. But come on, you're going to turn up, you're going to have a good time, aren't you? If they all turned up, this but is it's my thing. festival. I'm of course it is. There. Yeah, and I'm saying like if they all turn up, fucking absolutely. Yes, you're quite yes. right. If they all turn up, if you get like bloody. I don't know, Inspector Deck and five random blokes in black t-shirts, then I, I, I'm not so I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. But yeah, go on. Well, let's assume this is all going perfectly so far. Yeah, I yeah, mean, no, no, no. Listen it to is, my yeah. lineups. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, following Wu-Tang Clan, um, on their third album, which was released on April the 6th, 1999, went on to be certified double platinum alongside the, the debut and sophomore records, Nas is going to be following the Wu-Tang Clan for me yeah. I think it feels uh, Woodstock 99 feels like the perfect time to showcase what you know I can't speak as an authority but I know that the legacy is that Nas is pretty much 
you know pretty much the king of kind of that east coast hip-hop scene i don't i I know there are other artists in there but i think you'd be hard-pressed to not want him on that lineup at that time yeah i mean i think that's a that's a pretty good shout mate yeah yeah um changing tack slightly um another band who i have kept on the lineup i think this is my second of three that i've actually kept from the original lineup Mm -hmm. um because they were on evil empire i've kept rage against the machine so um you know they're six times platinum at this point they haven't quite released battle of los angeles which would make them uh, an eight time platinum band by the end of their initial stint um but you know buzz band of the era playing that slots you know getting people riled up for my headliners i think it's a bit of a no-brainer um my headliners perhaps perhaps contentious you may raise an eyebrow i don't know i genuinely don't know what you're going to say to this but following rage against the machine i would have beastie boys absolutely not thank you absolutely not going to raise an eyebrow not at all no no go on so by this point they're they're on hello nasty which is july 14th 1998 that's gone three times platinum you know they've got (laughs) everything that preceded it they've got bangers for days i think they would absolutely bring the party um i mean that'd be a, a cracking end to the first day wouldn't it beasties oh, yeah. oh you know, yeah you'd have that uh, you'd have i mean that. i would i mean they, they might be coming up a little bit later as well so Ooh, you know exciting oh. <laughs> uh yeah well so go on give us a little recap sam of uh of what your lineup was so my lineup for the main stage on the friday cypress hill dmx wu-tang clan nars rage against the machine and headlined by beastie boys that is fucking strong. I told I strong. told you the rest was more sensible. I told you. Yeah. <laughs> I think Cy- if Cypress Hill are clashing with Neurosis, they're going to get a big old crowd, aren't they? Oh, I don't know. Times of Grace is a banger. <laughs> <laughs> just, that might just be you there. Yeah. Um, okay, fine. Let's move on to the Saturday. So the uh, the middle day of the three. On the West Stage, the second stage, Sam, um, talk us through your West Stage Saturday lineup. So... Again, being the West Stage, I wanted to go for some more cult artists. There are some bigger ones to the top end, but I wanted to start off with some very cult stuff. And I thought, seeing as he's not here at the moment, let's do something for Renfrey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's Godspeed, you Black Emperor. You don't look happy with me. Bloody hell. <laughs> you do not look happy with me, Steve. No, 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 um, no. I'm not unhappy with it. Um, I think that is fucking... Very, 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 very niche in 1999. It is very niche. Um, As opposed to very, very, very niche now. Yes, quite. Um, But I just think, again, we're looking at kind of, you know, so they're on their debut. They're not a huge draw, but I think they're one of those outsider picks that in a perfect world, it might have done bigger and better things to them. Probably not. They're on F sharp, A sharp, Infinity. But um, I think that there's enough small buzz around the band you know the canadians it's not it's a stone's throw away so they're going to be able to get there in their rick rickety little van um i think it would help i think they were already on the way to becoming a big name in a small circle so i think they'd be a a cool unusual outsider choice for opener on the saturday i would then follow them up with another cult band and this is probably the last small, small band I've got. So don't worry. You can unclench now, everyone. Um, I'd have Sleep next. Ooh. Were Sleep together in 99 They still? absolutely were, yes. Because uh, no. they were on the... Well, they were coming to the end of the Jerusalem cycle, which obviously would go on mm. to become Dope Smoker. 
they got their cult status. They're not a huge draw, but they're going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. You know, if people are out there, you know, with the things they may have taken into the festival that maybe they shouldn't. <laughs> yes. But, you know, sleep, I'll, I'd have it. And it, you know what? If they're not together, they can come back for one last one. But I'm pretty sure they were still together at this point, unless you're going to tell me otherwise. Uh, no, I wasn't sure because I knew that it, after Dope Smoker or Jerusalem, whatever you want to call it, it was over pretty soon after that, I thought. So I didn't know, but like my knowledge of their timeline is quite rough. Yeah, I mean... So I was just checking. Yeah, sure, sure. I, and you're right to do so. Um, when I was looking through, it looks like <laughs> it looked like okay, it was pr- pretty much a few weeks after when Woodstock would have been, I think, was the kind of the final date, although the details on that are a little bit sketchy. So I thought, well, you know, ignorance is bliss. Let's have sleep. Um, following up, the headliners from the other stage at Glastonbury just the month prior... Um, so, you know, they're doing fairly big things over in the United Kingdom. They've got a smaller profile in the States and they're not on... They're on a little bit of a downturn on their second album, but it's only a slightly critically muted reception to its predecessor. Again, doing something for Renfrey. Bloody Mogwai, innit? Mate, this stage is <laughs> fucking... There ain't no partying going on on this stage, is no, there? This is going to no. be like serious chin stroke around yeah yeah on this stage yeah yeah i mean that but fine like okay yeah fine mogwai and black godspeedy black emperor in the blazing heat yeah it'd be lovely wouldn't it like herod outdoors in the sun <laughs> i'm gonna go and stick on young team after <laughs> they'd love we finish that. recording <laughs> they'd fucking love that <laughs> wouldn't they uh oh you think that was hor- that'd be horrible in the heat <laughs> i've gone through um purely based on the draw a bit like Phantomass of who was in the band, but again, mm-hmm. we've got cult cult status here, which is essentially what my second stage is all about. It's about lifting up these bands who I think deserved a bigger profile than they were given at the time. Get your ear defenders, it's Shellac. Now, that is actually a pretty good shout. I think. Yeah, I don't think that is. I, I think that's actually quite a good. Like, I don't think that is as ridiculous to be <laughs> honest you. as um, because you know Albini is huge was already is and was very very well respected yeah yeah like i that i mean if you hadn't have said the other two previously i might have been like really shellac but i think i mean if i'm picking fugazi you can pick shellac sure thanks thanks man um it it settles down a bit here i i thought you know i've done enough for me and renfrey let's let's have some crowd pleasers so uh funnily enough uh, i also have got placebo i have them as my sub- main sub on the second stage at the moment Again, as you've said, uh, they're on without you, I'm nothing. Uh, they'd subbed Underworld on the other stage at Glastonbury 1998, but, you know, they are mm-hmm. a much more commercially appealing band. Um, so, you know, technically they played lower down than Mogwai at Glastonbury, but, you know, I'm not going to put Placebo under Mogwai. I'm not that mental. No, I probably don't do that, no. Yeah, I'm not going to. I don't think Brian Mogwai... Not to Americans. Stuart Braithwaite. Stuart Braithwaite. Yeah, don't, don't do it to Americans, they won't like that. Do it to no, British people no, who no. hate themselves, but Americans will have a good time. <laughs> yeah, and you're true. starving them of a lot of good time so far on this day, to be honest, Sam. But, but yeah, they'll Sorry. be waiting for Placebo a long fucking time. But yeah, all right, go on. Good, fine. Well, you know, I think they'll have a, a good time. Not necessarily a party time, but they'll have a good time with my headliner for this stage. Massive attack. That is a good shout, yeah. Who would be on mezzanine at this point, 20th of April, 98. Not a massive success 
in the United States, 60 on the Billboard charts and half a million sales to date in 2022. But they're such a critical smash. And again, my second stage ten is about these cult bands who I think people would have turned up and had a fucking good time with, apart from maybe Mogwai and, <laughs> and Black Emperor. On reflection, not not my finest picks. <laughs> I think it's a cool... I think I think you've got Woodstock and All Tomorrow Parties mixed up, haven't you? Nah, it's all the same, innit? They're all festivals. You're going to be going to be booking fucking Jewel for All Tomorrow's Party. Um, uh, no, no, good. I mean, look, again, it is good. That is good. I like your thinking. I like your thinking, like, you know, you've got to take sh- chances with those sort of artists. Um, uh, I mean, as well, th- this shit was getting shown live on MTV throughout the entire fucking weekend in America. They were showing the whole thing live. Mm-hmm. They'd have to show half an hour of shellac live, uh, yeah. which I think would be hilarious that, and yeah. brilliant. So I, I kind of love it. Yeah. No, kind of love it. Um, all right, well, the flip to that is this. My second stage, on or the West stage, on the Saturday, I would open with very, very different from what you're doing, Sam. No. I'd open with Bootsy Collins. So he had released Fresh Out of P University in 1997. He had done a funk Jimi Hendrix covers album in 1995, which was a few years back. But pull that out. Again, it's Woodstock. Little link there. Would be amazing to see live. And he was in Sly and the Family Stone. So that whole school of bands from the original Woodstock, again, a little nod back to the original Woodstock. Vietnam protesting. Angry. Black Panther, all those kind of vibes. Having someone who was actually there for all that stuff, who was there for the kind of revolution of the late nineteen sixties, playing on that stage to me shows a lot of res- shows shows that you are you are aware of what this festival is meant to be. So that's my thought process for picking Bootsy Collins. Plus, I think hearing funk Jimi Hendrix covers at Woodstock would be amazing. That would be great. I have followed that up with the Flaming Lips, mm-hmm. who at that point in the US were not massive. They weren't a huge band. They'd been a kind of college radio fave for ages. And obviously, you know, She Likes Jelly or She Don't Like Jelly was uh, a big hit years before. And a soft bullet had come out. And that really was where I think they started to go from a, a kind of cool alternative rock band to a critically adored band. And also... They're just fucking awesome live, aren't they? Flaming Lips. They're just fucking brilliant live. So I'd have Flaming Lips followed by... Now, if you're going to have new metal, you're going to have a little bit of new metal. And I know I've picked corn already, but if you're going to have some new metal, which was a big thing, and I think you can rep new metal at this festival without it turning into a big old fucking dick-grabbing competition, I'd have Incubus. I know I've talked shit about Incubus before. I know I have talked shit about Incubus before. But Incubus is surely a go-to band here if you're going to be picking new metal for Woodstock. Surely. Like, Make Yourself would turn them into a very, very big band in the, in the US. They'd already had that record out or was about to have that record out, I should say. You know, they had songs like Drive and Pardon Me, which were much more kind of ethereally melodic, acoustic-y, hippie thing, which, again, fits the aesthetic of Woodstock far more. Make Yourself sold too many copies in the US. And they were actually quite good at this point as well. Mm. They were actually good. So for me, I think if you are going to have new metal, there's only a few bands that you can really rep. Corn, I think, was so big, they justify it. Incubus makes sense, as do my next pick, System of a Down. Now, I've checked this because I wanted to be sure, because I knew that they were playing the Ozfest in 1998. The Ozfest last tour date in 1998 
1999 was Saturday the 24th of July in San Bernardino. And, oh, that's actually, oh shit, I've, I've left them on the wrong stage. They should be playing the Sunday, really. Okay, well, let's ignore that. So let, let's say they played early on the 24th of July in California and they need to be in New York for like, the afternoon to play. I don't know how they get there. So basically, they need to come off stage at California and get on a plane mm. to New York and travel across the country. So, I mean, I think Incubus were probably a little bit bigger than at this point. Yeah, but you know, they've so. got they've got to travel. They've got to travel. So, um, you know, I've I've whacked them. Uh, I've I've whacked them there. Take that, Brandon. Uh, but you know, System of Down, System of a Down, on their first record, kind of wild. Again, very politically minded, very different and unique. And again, I don't think they quite do the same sort of new metal stuff as the the new metal bands that they did book. At, uh, at Woodstock um, so yes System of a Down followed by Missy Elliott who had just released The Real World um, getting a top 10 album on the billboards went on to sell a million copies and she I think is a great bridge between System of a Down and my headliner obviously Super Duper Fly went on to be an even bigger hit than that and she'd get even bigger than that over the coming years but I think at this point Missy Elliott was considered one of the coolest MCs one of the coolest artists certainly from that scene in that era and she was about to have massive massive success i think she probably was bigger than system of down incubus flaming lips and definitely bootsy collins at this point so subbing on that second stage missy elliott i think would be wicked and my headliner for this stage would be beck oh lovely two million copies of odelay was sold in the us and um this is the year that beck releases the criminally underrated frustratingly underrated career best in my opinion album midnight vultures which i think that stuff sounds so fucking good live like so good live i saw him around that period and he was doing this full-blown prince show with all this sort of funk stuff and he is he's amazing live as well certainly back in those days he was absolutely brilliant live so yes that makes perfect sense to me beck to headline second stage on the Saturday night. So for me, that would be Bootsy Collins, Flaming Lips, Incubus, System of a Down, Missy Elliott, and Beck. Lovely. I, what do you reckon, Sam? I mean, great. Lovely, diverse lineup. I think it, yeah, it is a good reflection of the kind of old, you know, the the history of Woodstock and also the contemporary stuff that's going on. I know it's a logistical caveat, but System over Incubus. Yeah. I mean, they're better, aren't they? So. <laughs> they are better, but unfortunately, it's 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 not about quality. Otherwise, Neurosis would be headlining over Alanis Morissette, mate. Well, yeah, but I think there's not a lot in it at this point. <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there's no. not loads and loads and loads in the. It's not like I mean, Alanis Morissette sold 26 million copies of Jagged Little Pill, and Neurosis sold what 90 copies of Through Silver and Blood. I'm not sure. Like uh, 91. 91. I, I got one last right, week. Okay, so, cool. yeah. so I think like that's quite a gap. Whereas I think Incubus. <laughs> having sold you know half a million copies of science and system of a down having sold four hundred thousand copies of their debut album yeah you know like it's not that big a deal is no, it fair enough fair enough yeah. no 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 right, absolutely fair, fair all right fine would uh, you like I, to go on to your east stage i would yes so this would be my main stage for the saturday so you've mentioned wu-tang clan and mm. this is the only time where i'm literally 
having to completely change the process of time a little bit. So I have picked Old Dirty Bastard doing a solo set. Um, and I've looked this up, right? Old Dirty Bastard did play a show in Switzerland in June 1999. He actually supposedly really at this point should have been in jail and i was under the impression that he was actually in jail at that point but maybe not maybe he got out early maybe he'd been good maybe he got day release anyway i couldn't find the record for whether or not he was in jail so let's just say he wasn't in jail um he had just released his second solo album i can't say the name of that album unfortunately on this podcast i am not allowed to say the name of that record <laughs> but it's the one with hey dirty baby i got your money on it and it is fucking great um i just think he'd be excellent he's um he's excellent and um bloody god rest his soul he's he's a mental like absolutely fucking mad motherfucker and like in some often slightly problematic ways but musically he's incredibly distinct and i have a real real soft spot for him as a solo artist as well so um odb opening the main stage followed by blur one for oh, you ooh. sam in it one for oh, you. my favorite yeah 13 came out that year it was only a couple of years after they managed to go gold with their self-titled album and obviously song two had been a massive hit so they had a bit of a profile in the u.s and it did diminish after this but i still think early on in that process of the day i think blur are big enough in the us to have sort of justified a main stage slot and for me i think they'd smash it and it's nice to have a little bit of british representation on this festival as well when you think like the who played the original woodstock and whatnot so blur uh someone else i've kept from the original bill everlast dude sold two million copies of whitey ford sings the blues and he was fucking hot shit at the time I actually think Whitey Ford Sings the Blues is an excellent record. I know some people have sort of had a pop about um, Everlast before. Like, oh, it's not very good. And it's all kind of like, you know, sort of shit blues and shit rap done by a white bloke who's, you know, knows nothing about the blues and knows nothing about hip hop. And he's always going about how Irish he is. But I actually think Whitey Ford Sings the Blues is a, is a really, really good record. And I would keep him on that main stage. Um, I'd follow him up with Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. Volume 2 came out in 1998 and it had been his most commercially successful record to that point. He'd sold 5 million copies of that record. I was just about to drop Volume 3 later that year. An absolute integral superstar. Like a superstar, you know, and well on the way to becoming one of the definitive artists of his generation. Again, I look at who did get booked for Woodstock 99. I'm not saying they didn't ask him or maybe said no or like it was considered or whatever. I can't believe Jay-Z didn't do Woodstock 99. It's mad to me. Mm. Absolutely mad. Of course he should have been doing it. Of course he should. So I think that's strong. My sub-headliners are No Doubt. In ah. 1999, No Doubt released the song New from the movie Goes soundtrack. And it was the first music that they had released since they released Tragic Kingdom, which obviously, as we know, was a fucking huge record huge record tragic kingdom it's gone on now to sell tens of millions of copies turn them into a fucking arena band all around the world they were massive and they'd pretty much been touring solid 
for about three years and they'd taken a little bit of time out to work on what would become the follow-up to that return to saturn this would be like a metallica style escape from the studio thing maybe Mm. play a couple of new songs i just can't imagine that they would turn it down you know i can't imagine they would turn it down and i think hearing those songs from that album plus a couple of new ones with a band this big coming back escape from the studio style i think that'd be super exciting and i think no doubt absolutely fit the remit of a good time american bubblegum poppy fun sub headliner unlike my headliner who i have kept and i've actually bumped them up a bit like i did with corn you've already mentioned them radiance machine mm. i think radiance machine were more than capable of headlining this in 1999 yeah obviously they were below metallica on the bill originally in 1999 but metallica played in 1994 so as much as you go well, can you really drop metallica eh, you can and i yeah. have you can have too much um, of a good thing yeah you know like i'm happy the metallica play everywhere and anywhere great right and i love metallica obviously but i think this bill is strong enough to survive without metallica i genuinely do and i think rage would be the band like you mentioned you know battle of los angeles coming out fucking just one of the most definitive bands of that era still to this day when people think of 90s music it's one of the first bands you think of rage machine we're going to be talking about it maybe i got rage on the brain but um yeah man like i just really think rage would have been a fucking awesome awesome closer for the entire festival so odb blur everlast jay-z no doubt rage against the machine i think that's pretty strong personally it's not bad at all mate i did yeah um i didn't even really clock that jay-z didn't play the original woodstock 99 that is mental that is surely surely blindingly obvious choice as you as you say i mean you've made the case for it fantastically so yeah, I, I think that was like, how the fuck have you not? I mean, you know, maybe you said no. Maybe you yeah, didn't do it. Maybe, maybe you just maybe. thought, like, you know, it was a different time back then. But, you know, to me, I was like, that seems fucking absurd that they wouldn't have asked Jay-Z. Anyway, we got the Sunday now. Uh, oh, Sam, uh, your second I'm, stage. I haven't done my Saturday East Oh, yet. shit, yeah, sorry, yeah, mate. Yeah, sorry. I just steamed on in. Go on. That's yeah, quite sorry, all right. I, I, I know you want me to get this over with, but, you know. <laughs> no, 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 that's not, what it is. that's not what it is. I did try hard at this, you know, Steve. Um, right, so, opening my Saturday East stage, um, so I wanted to go for something that I think fits the vibe of Woodstock as it did exist in 1999 and also hark back to some of the the older kind of, I don't know, nicer singer-songwritery ideals. Um, so I thought I'd go for an understated pick for my, my opening act. Um, I've chosen Bob Mould, who would have been on the last Dog and Pony show at this point, brought out the year before in August. It's his fourth studio album. I think, again, he'd have enough kind of cult success. You know, it wasn't a smash hit. But I think people would know who Bob Mould is. And even if they don't, I think they turn up to the stage and have a bloody lovely time listening to his gorgeous voice. Yeah, that is great. L- l- would would love to see Bob Mould yeah, playing yeah. Woodstock. Fucking would love to see it. And he would have bloody deserved it as well. He would have deserved it, yeah. I mean, that, that was one where... <laughs> I know it seems like a lot of this is just me picking bands I want, but that is one where I was like, you know what? I think he just deserved that spot. So I'd put him there. So have it. Uh, and I also think he'd be a wonderful lead in to my, my next artist, um, which would be Elliot Smith, who would currently be on EXO. Oh, Already had yeah. either or come out. Um, I was stunned to find out in the research for this. Uh, Waltz 2 from EXO did not chart in the United States. However, he had just appeared on the Oscars performing Miss Misery. Um, 
the year uh, the year prior, which I think would raise his his profile enough to make him a main stage draw. You know, back in back in ninety eight ninety nine, people were actually watching the telly and they were watching things like the Oscars. So people are going to know Elliot Smith. Maybe you know, not a household name, but music fans who are going to Woodstock, they're going to know. It's not going to be the most cheerful set. But I think it'd be a really, really. It, I think it's one of those ones where it has the potential to be one of the kind of like um, iconic sets of the weekend. When he put busts out yeah. Miss Misery or Waltz Two, you know that's something you're going to talk about for the rest of your life. If he'd do it, he probably wouldn't want to play him anyway. But yeah, well, I don't know. I think that that is actually a really, really good shout. I mean, particularly yeah, like we we've got the sort of benefit of. Um, uh, hindsight here to know what ended up happening to Elliot Smith and I think he was definitely somebody who people were looking at like you know comparisons with Jeff Buckley I yeah, guess yeah. you know like if if I think they did Jeff Buckley play 94 I can't remember if Jeff Buckley played Woodstock 94 mm. I'm not sure maybe maybe he didn't but I know there was talk about that maybe and I think that yeah there's certainly enough I know he didn't play 94. I'm no, because sure Grace would have come out in 94, so I don't think he would have been yeah. significant enough to play at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, again, like, I think it'd be, yeah, it would have been one of the things you'd look back on and go, yeah, fucking hell, that was a real um, powerful moment for this very, very important and loved artist. I, that, that is a great shout. That actually was one that passed me by a little bit, but that's a good shout. Thanks, man. Um, changing tack, one you've already brought up. Um and I'm quite glad because you've basically justified their inclusion at this festival for me already because I'm going to have Fugazi here. Oh, you picked Fugazi as well. Obviously, I bloody picked Fugazi. I was being bored. Well, you can't... It, sub, <laughs> <laughs> sub in the second stage, you put them halfway up the main stage. I have. So I'm going to throw your question back at me, Sam. Back at you. Well, I'm going to throw it back at me. Throw it back at you. They, you, you think they're big enough to get that slot on the stage? I do. Um, as you say well I do yeah yeah well I know, I know you do yeah I'm, I'm agreeing with you but yeah no as you say 2 million albums sold to date uh, greatly beloved in the US you know kind of underground where they deliberately kept themselves but they could have been playing those much much bigger venues they're pioneering force in you know post hardcore and they're bringing in elements of noise rock and stuff like that they've got that acerbic kind of edge to them that I think would really change the mood and the vibe after Elliot Smith which leads into my next artist I think Fugazi would absolutely smash it. And I, I think the only consideration is, would they want to do it? But it's my festival. They're, yeah. they're doing it. They're doing yeah, it. Yeah, they have to do yeah. it. In the same way as System of Down have to rearrange all of their <laughs> travel plans to get to the fucking stage by certain time. Yeah. And I've just like bumped them above Incubus. So Fugazi are obligated to play because we told them that they have to play. So that's fine. Thank you. Thank you. Following Fugazi, um, on his debut solo album, now, this might be a harder one to justify, I think. Um, made it to 38 on the Billboard 200, this gentleman's debut solo album. But he's famous enough from his day job. I've got Jerry Cantrell playing a solo set. Do you know what, mate? That is very strange because I had Jerry Cantrell at one point mm. and I took him off. Um because I just had other things that I was like, ah, you know, I don't really have enough room, but I did, I did have Jerry Cantrell. And I think that again, Alison Chains mm. meant to play 94. You know, they were going to be playing 94, I think before stuff happened yeah. with Lane. I mean, we all know the fucking problems that that band went through touring in the aftermath of dirt. And 
to have him kind of come back and play you know because those those solo albums did pretty well in the u.s they did better in the u.s than they did in the uk they did i mean as i say boggy depot his debut went to 38 or peaked at 38 on the billboard 200 so you know it's not a smash hit success but i don't think it needs Mm. to be a number one album if you're playing third from the top on uh admittedly the main stage of woodstock but i don't think it needs to be that high up and you know it came out well it was released on two different formats on 31st of march and 7th of april the year prior people know jerry cantrell they're familiar with this material so i think people would absolutely turn out in their droves to go and see him especially because let me compare it oh yeah he'd be up against shellac so who are you gonna go and see (laughs) um Uh, yeah right so here come the big hitters uh both of whom have already been mentioned actually um so my sub and I'm still not sure if they should be headlining over my headliner at the moment, but my sub-headliner is Alanis Morissette. As you've already been through, nice. suppose, on supposed, inform, uh, supposed former infatuation junkie, 3rd of November the year prior, number one US album, three times platinum, follow up to Jagged Little Pill, you know, one of the biggest albums of the decade. I think it's an absolute no-brainer. Uh, and it is higher up than she actually played at the Real Festival. Uh, she's the sub on the mm. main stage as opposed to... Uh, she Was she under Rage under Metallica on the day? She was under Limp Biscuit. Oh, Limp Biscuit, yes, that was it, which shocked So me. I think it was... Yeah, I mean, I think... So she played... In fact, actually, you can you can wait a second here. She was below... Yeah, Metallica, Rage, Limp Biscuit, and Lance Morissette. Blimey. She was quite low down. Just I think it's because that second album did. It tailed off, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but still, like still she's fucking. Morissette. Yeah, she's massive, fucking massive, yeah. and absolutely deserving. Potentially, of subbing, REM. Yeah, good shout. I mean, REM. I got them as sub, but you know that's ridiculous, really, because they are definitely big enough. I mean, I, I. I I can definitely understand your rationale for having them as the sub. And I mean, even now I'm looking at it and I'm like, should Alanis be above them? Because as you say, they're on up, not a critical or commercial smash. You know, they're, they are beginning to enter a kind of fallow period of their career. But it's REM, man. If they come out and do, as you were saying um, earlier, who, who was your first West Stage headliner? Sorry, or East Stage headliner. I've gone blank. Uh, my first um, East Stage headline was Corn. Oh, it was your West Stage headliner. Oh, my first West Stage headliner was... Let me just go back and have a little look. Black Crows. Black Crows. So, as you were saying with Black Crows, come out, do a greatest hit set. People are going to have an amazing time. It's going to be, you know, a kind of crowning moment for REM. And I think a deserved boost to them. Um, well, they're, they're not necessarily on the ropes. I mean, they're still playing the fucking biggest venues in the world. But, yeah, I, I think this is more of a legacy booking rather than necessarily a contemporary one. But yep. I think R.E.M. absolutely deserved that slot. Oh, mate, I I, I think that, yeah. Like, they, they were really, they're a band who got to a point that was they were that big that they can headline festivals anywhere in the world forever. Yeah. But there are certain bands yeah. that get to a certain stage, oh, okay, you're just a headliner forever now. You know, U2, yeah, Metallica, um, David Bowie, like just mm. you are going to be the headliner if you're playing yeah. you're going to be top of the bill apart from in my ridiculous little thing but you know yeah fair okay well yeah mate, that, that makes a lot of sense rem and the more set together that would be fucking awesome thank you so my uh my east stage just for the rundown uh bob mold elliot smith fugazi jerry cantrell alanis morissette and rem good good right final day oh we're all knackered at the end of the day sore back in it <laughs> all that stuff uh sam hit me with your west stage closing lineup 
Okay, well, don't care how hungover you are. Don't oh, care God, how tired go. you are. Is how picked, bad you are. Napalm Death, have you? Have you picked Napalm Death? Oh, no, I've actually gone for Queens of the Stone Age. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so they're on their, their self titled debut. Um, you know, they are a cult band, as has been the running theme of my second stage. But I think, you know, Josh Hom, he's got enough rock star appeal that I think there'd be enough of a draw. Um, I was thinking, oh, yeah, maybe his time is Caius, you know, bring people out. It's like, oh, no way, it was Caius. Like, that's not really a good justification for where he's sitting. Um, but I think they at this time, you know, they're still fresh-faced. They're frenetic. They're going to be energetic. I think it would be a good thing to blow away the cobwebs on the Sunday morning without being too ridiculously in your face. Mm. Unlike my next pick, which would be, you've already mentioned them, uh, this is where I would have System of a Down. So, okay. as you say, they're on the debut. Um, they're, they're a new take on the new metal era. Um, uh, yeah, I think there's a debate to be had about how new metal System of Down really were. But that's for another day because this podcast is already running long. Um, they're not quite as great and huge as they would be by the time Toxicity rolls around. So I think, you know, lower down, maybe not on the second stage, but I don't know. It feels a good fit for the rest of the lineup I've put together for this. Because following system, the new metal double bill, but not really new metal, gone for Deftones, haven't I? Yeah, Deftones is a good one. Yeah, yeah I mean, again, they're, they're one. You know, when you've got Corn and Limp Biscuit on the original lineup, I, I get it must have been, must have been that they were asked to play and they couldn't do it or didn't want to do it. But Deftones just seems like an obvious shout to me. Well, and they the sort of vanished, like, didn't they, to go and do White Pony? I mean, I think as you, as you listened to our recent special on Around the Fur, like they just sort of got to the end in 98 and they're off doing it's true getting ready for white pony so i think it might be a sort of escape from the studio escape from the studio thing. yeah like you no doubt one yeah i suppose so yeah um i can't imagine they wouldn't have been asked to do something like that at the time though i mean i know no. around the fair want the biggest album but it was so critically adored apart from by the enemy as we covered <laughs> sign up <laughs> patreon.com forward slash right at podcast oh, well um thank you I- i've been listening for a while <laughs> um so Deftones, I think, are there as my bridge between the kind of the new metal and the kind of weirder, you know, stonery, drug-inflected music that we open the day with to lead into Skunk and Nancy. Right, okay. 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 Right, I'm going to say this right now. Skunk and Nancy never really cracked America at all. I know they didn't, which is why I've got them here on the second stage because I did think at first I was like, Oh shit, a month prior, they headlined fucking Glastonbury. They headlined the Pyramid Stage. Mm-hmm. Oh, brilliant. And then I looked into it, and yeah, they weren't they weren't a big sell in the States. Certainly not this time. I mean, I don't know if they are now or ever have been, but I just think, again, I'm going for these kind of cult bands, these outsider artists for my second stage. I think they'd be a smashing choice. You know, they've got post-orgasmic chill out. Um, I think people who turned up would bloody love it. Um, yeah. Now, again, I've caught myself here because I'm okay. not sure I've got my sub and my headline at the right way around. All right. Well, let's see. Let's, let's see. Let's see. So, um, <laughs> my sub, they're on... Uh, the last album had been released, or the last full album had been released in 1996, the best year for music. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was far, far less critically and commercially successful in the band's catalogue. Didn't chart in the US from what I could see, maybe on the Heat Seekers, although they would have been on Heat Seekers at this time because that band is the cure. Yeah, I, 
the thing about the cure is is they do have a constantly have a really really hardcore obsessive strong following i think they would have been looked at i don't know about the us but certainly in the uk i think they were looked at a bit as sort of like the past a bit but i think because because i'll tell you why i think it's a good booking i haven't booked them actually but i do think it's a good booking because deftones and corn all those bands fucking love them keep going on about them all the time don't they yeah so i think that would Mm. be a decent sort of hook to be like look you need you need to listen to this band they're amazing so yeah i back that i absolutely back that yeah, and on the um, on the Deftones and Corn uh, kind of hype train, my headliner Shard. No, not really. Uh, my headliner <laughs> is um, Smashing Pumpkins for this stage. So Adore has come out, platinum selling album number two on the Billboard 200. So I mean, maybe even a bit too big for the second stage, but it's the final day. Go out with a bang. Yeah, you know they're, they're still riding high from the success of the first three records. And I found uh, that at this time. This would have just fallen in when Jimmy Chamberlain had recently returned and Darcy wasn't far off leaving the band for the last time. So I think it'd be a superb last hurrah for the original Pumpkins lineup. Um, That's a great shout. Yeah. So, yeah, my Sunday West stage, System of a Down, Queens of the Stone Age, Deftones, Skunk and Nancy, The Cure, Smashing Pumpkins. What do you think to that? That is a fucking great lineup. That I'm looking at mine and I'm like, oh, that's much better than mine. That's oh, the first time I thought that. can't take back. <laughs> oh, I can take it back, but I'm not going to. I do genuinely. I'm looking at mine. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, well, hit me with yours. Okay. Well, I think that mine, it, it starts and ends very well. Maybe in the middle, people might go, oh, look, he had fucking Deftones and the, the Cure, you prick. What are you trying to sell? <laughs> anyway, I also had Godspeed, you Black Emperor. So. You did, yeah, it's the day before. You've had to wait to get to like the <laughs> yeah, fucking big yeah. shit with yours to be fair, Sam. <laughs> I would open the West Stage on the Sunday with Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Ooh. Now, okay. Boatman's Call was the first Bad Seeds album ever to break the US Billboard Top 200. Mm. Murder Ballads had slowly but surely crept, crept up to 100,000 sales in the US. And the Scream franchise was massive. Mm. And Red Right Hand was fucking everywhere. Yeah. So, Nick Cave, not really that big in the US, really. Like, quite big, definitely a cult artist. Certainly bigger than Mogwai. Certainly bigger than Shellac. Certainly bigger than Godspeed You Black Emperor. Certainly bigger than Neurosis. But still, um, not that I'm shitting on your lineup at all, Sam. I was just pointing that out. <laughs> just pointing that out. I'm not. I'm not because I love all those bands. But oh, I do no, think no, if people no, are going. Fine. Yeah, fine. people are going. No, oh, he's not really that big in the US. Like, no, he's not. But he done Lollapalooza. Mm. I think opening that stage again, you get a really kind of strong opening. I would follow him up with monster magnet so power trip had come out the year before and they were hot shit they were like the hot kind of old school rock and roll band at this point Mm. if you're looking at you know a comparison between them and say queens of stone age way more hype around monster magnet around that time than there was a queens of stone age and they bring some of that hawkwind style super old school psychedelic thing to woodstock again little nod to the original woodstock the cover kick out the jams again little nod to 60s it's the first time that you get any of that at this particular iteration of woodstock so i think that'd be really really cool mm. i would follow them up with silver chair so neon yeah. ballroom ended up going gold in the us and they cracked the us billboard top 50 they had been a pretty sizable band when frogstone came out and you know they became a, a hypey 
kind of grunge band post grunge after alternative rock broke band whatever you want to call it in the same way that stone temple pilots and bush and some not so good bands did you know went out from tour with pearl jam silver chair i think they did they did a lot of big I think they did some big tours in the u.s so they did some big tours obviously that was kind of post that and i feel like they weren't really massive at that time but they were significantly sizable enough for them to really justify what is, I think, a fairly low placing on the bill. And also, they were great around this period. I saw them at Reading that year, and they're a completely different band. They weren't just a grunge band. I think people have this weird thing about Silverchair where they go, oh, they're just a Nirvana ripoff. And, you know, like, yeah, when they were 13, 14, maybe they were. A couple of years later, they absolutely weren't at all. Ridiculous. Um, so, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Monster Magnet, Silverchair, Filter. Ooh, again doesn't seem that exciting to pick filter but i'm telling you right now i listened to title of record a few weeks ago <laughs> it's fucking brilliant title of record it is fucking brilliant that record and hey man nice shot was a big hit in the u.s as well they were just about to become as big as they were ever going to get in the u.s when title of record came out you know take a picture and stuff like that was going to turn turn them into a very very big band a kind of arena subbing band probably i think they would you know in, in kind of british terms they would be a sort of brixton academy 5000 cap venue sort of band at their at their biggest i think filter but you know they went on you know they were about to kind of skyrocket and hit the peak of their popularity which was quite brief but i think that mixed with the fact that title record is a great record it's a great record um, I think they justified their slot there. Uh, before we get a kind of EDM, as the Americans like to call it, one-two punch of Daft Punk. So this is before Daft Punk really sort of truly cracked America. Mm -hmm. But Around the World had been a sleeper hit for mm -hmm. them in the US. And Homework had sold around 600,000 copies in the US, which is a pretty significant amount for a dance band mm. before... At this time, yeah yeah when america was not interested in electronic music at all um this was also the first year that daft punk donned their iconic helmets ah. so this would have been the first time you got to see them look in the way that we all think yeah, daft punk yeah. look as well so i think daft punk would be wicked and then you've already mentioned them i had to bump them up to headliner for you but not doing that here the prodigy yeah again a no-brainer fat of the land two and a half million copies in the u.s on the face of it, a super aggressive live band like The Prodigy, you could argue that is that maybe a bit at odds with the vibe of what the original Woodstock was meant to be. But let's remember where The Prodigy came from. Mm. If you've listened to our patreon.com forward slash right act podcast, if you've listened to our special on um, The Jilted Generation by The Prodigy, you'll know Second Summer of Love, Rave Culture, that whole thing that The Prodigy has swept up in and where they came from and what kind of bore them i think they'd actually be perfect mm. and even if you don't take that into account what a live band what a fucking live band like close any festival that closes with the prodigy is having a lovely time like you don't want to follow the prodigy so for me sunday night in the second stage yes i would have the prodigy closing that stage so my uh my second stage which i have to say i think you've uh, i think you've 
stumped me there a little bit, Sam. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, great. Monster Magnet, Silver Chair, Filter, Daft Punk, The Prodigy. I can understand that, that middle section maybe seems, not Daft Punk so much, but Monster Magnet, Silver Chair and Filter maybe seems slightly less exciting today mm. than Deftones and System of a Down and The Cure would do. But, you know, it's all right, isn't it? Oh, it's, oh I think it's great. I think it's really well pitched for that era, you know, yeah, I, I'd definitely go and see Filter, mate. Like, brilliant. Um, Silverchair, maybe the only one I'm personally not bothered about on that lineup, but I'm not the only person going, am I? You know, I think it's a, a very savvy shout. Thank you, mate. I appreciate it's that. That's very right. nice of you to say. I hope you're going to be nice about me later. I will. <laughs> for once. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to do my East stage, the main stage to close the whole shebang. Mm. Now, they had Willie Nelson opening the main stage on the Sunday. I'm going to go for Johnny Cash. Ooh. And I know it's a few years before the whole world went fucking mad for Johnny Cash. And even though this, at the time, might have resulted in a fairly ho-hum reaction, guess how many people would have lost their shit and have claimed to have seen it a few years later. Johnny Cash turned down Woodstock 94 because he wasn't on the main stage. Happy to rectify that in 1999 and put him on that main stage. And then obviously Rick Rubin comes along and turns him back into one of the coolest, most beloved, most iconic figures in music. Mm. Johnny Cash on the main stage at Woodstock. Absolutely. I mean, most of what I've tried to do on this last day, or a lot of what I've tried to do on this last day, is have things that I think would be... This is almost like the the nod back to sort of classic music day a little bit. Not entirely, though, because I would say Tori Amos mm. would follow Johnny Cash. Just released to Venus and Back that, that year, which would be her fifth consecutive million-selling record in the US. Very, very popular in the US. Yeah. Very, very popular. And in that kind of... Um, uh, I mean, we talked about Alanis Morissette, and there are a lot of those sort of... Art, the kind of Lilith Fair scene. I think Tori Amos predates that kind of Lilith Fair thing. And for me, she's one of the best. Like, I think to Venus and Back is great particularly the live album that accompanies it is astonishingly brilliant she would be fucking amazing like fucking amazing so many big hits really popular in the u.s a really broad back catalogue by this point you know like pele for boys had been out as well at this point so we're doing something completely different to you know the under the pink stuff um yeah really really good and then page and plant uh-huh. now again proper throwback mm. walking into clarksdale had done all right in the u.s like did all right i think didn't sell loads but really who wouldn't get excited at the idea of watching a load of led zeppelin classics being played on the main stage at woodstock on the final day by the two like dudes from led zeppelin the singer and the guitarist from led zeppelin who wouldn't get excited about that surely that is an absolute fucking no-brainer. I know the year before they headlined Reading. They headlined the main stage at Reading. So obviously they're big. But for me, like, you know, we're talking about real, real, real big artists mm. on this lineup. And I think Page and Plant, they ain't Led Zeppelin. So I'm going to bump them down a little bit. But can you imagine that midway through the day, having watched Johnny Cash and Tori Amos, Page and Plant come out and just crack into fucking rock and roll and Black Dog and all of the Zeppelin classics, Cashmere, it would be, be fucking brilliant. That would be amazing. It would be wicked. 
yeah so good um i would then have santana uh-huh. i mean i guess the people on the bill probably couldn't have seen what was about to happen but santana played the original woodstock and a month before the festival he released the album supernatural and that album went on to sell 30 million copies three zero million copies worldwide it's one of the biggest selling albums Mm. ever santana went from like old dude well respected from the original woodstock to almost the biggest artist particularly in the u.s like almost the biggest artist on the planet purely on the strength of this fucking gigantic record and so i think sticking him there on the bill again nice nod back to the original woodstock he's about to become completely contemporary like the biggest thing in the world like absolutely fucking massive so it'd be santana subbing my headliners you know who can you get who's going to be bigger than that i mean the only one who literally was the biggest fucking artist on this on the planet pretty much at the moment at that time who i love and this i mean do i even need to explain this lauren hill Mm, yeah lauren hill seems so 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 obvious pretty much the most critically acclaimed and commercially successful combined artist on the face of the planet at that point there is absolutely no way you can tell me that that bill any bill in 1999 wouldn't have been improved wouldn't improve its ticket sales by adding lauren hill to it like it just it is the all-time no-brainer i when i talk about i can't believe jay-z didn't play woodstock 99 i can't like she must have turned it down she must have turned it down because seriously like how the fuck can you not have asked lauren hill to do woodstock how the fuck like do you know what i mean she's like with one of the marley's she totally like that miseducation of lauren hill like it's so relatable to so much of the stuff Mm. that the original woodstock stood for or claimed to stand for and she's selling a kajillion records and winning all the grammys every fucking grammy snaffling up grammys like left right and center it, it, it's nuts to me that lauren hill didn't play the didn't play woodstock yeah. it just is absolutely mad to me I, I as you can probably yeah. hear i don't get it um and my headliners for the entire festival to close the whole shebang you've already mentioned them the beastie boys number one in the u.s three million copies of hello nasty sold at the time by the time we get around to this again really can't understand how the beastie boys didn't play 94 and 99 seems quite mad to me they were a big big mm. fucking band i mean you know you had them kind of um headlining prior to this as well and was like oh would they be big enough i think like going on after arguably santana and lauren hill two of the biggest artists of that period around that time in terms of record sales but for me you know the legacy of the beastie boys the importance of the beastie boys just how great the show that they would put on for me beastie boys great great way to end the festival having just watched the prodigy because i'm gonna have flipping the stage you know so johnny cash tori amos page and plant santana lauren hill beastie boys boom woodstock 99 is out for me uh how about you 
Well, before that, I'd just like to say, um, in advance of this, <laughs> Steve had texted me. I think, I like to think he was ribbing me a little bit, saying, oh, I'm going to make your festival look like shit. And to be fair, mate, with that stage, fucking hell, that's that's not bad at all. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with that one. Uh, yeah. And I'd also like to say, Lauren Hill is such an obvious shout that even I thought of Lauren Hill. And I put neurosis yeah. on my stages, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even I thought Lauren Hill should have been there. But she didn't quite fit into the vibe of the lineup that I've curated, I don't feel. So my E stage, I've gone for big hitters, uh, but contemporary big hitters, bar bar one, notable. Well, bar, bar two, actually. Bar two, notable exceptions. But I want this to be fucking party time. Party central. Let's go out having the best time we can. So I've gone for a small one to start with, but I know you're going to like it, Steve. Because opening my cool. main stage is rancid yes in the sunshine yes. listening to stuff from life won't wait and out come the wolves oh lovely stuff I, I cannot believe i haven't picked rancid yeah uh, i mean what an idiot i cannot believe i haven't picked rancid <sighs> I, I you've fucking ruined my entire festival just by mentioning that i sh like yeah i feel like an absolute moron what a mug <laughs> i wouldn't beat yourself up too much about it i mean they could do a secret set <laughs> Do an acoustic set in the campsite. There were other stages. I whack them on the third stage. Although there's a Thursday. Oh, they 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 played the Thursday of mine. All right. <laughs> they played the opening day uh, or the, the pre-day. Um, but yeah, Rancid. Uh, Life won't wait. Hit number thirty-five on the Billboard charts. Uh, released in ninety-eight. So people have had time to get to know it. Look, you're gonna go and have a fun time listening to some kind of scar, heavily scar-inflected punk. I think they're my equivalent of your no doubt shout, but marginally less successful so um yeah uh one you've but already better yeah well yeah i mean obviously um no shade on no doubt don't get me wrong great band but no shade on no doubt no, right. but they're not rancid um my next shout you have already brought them up um stone temple pilots mm -hmm. yeah uh, yep. and it might seem strange to have them this low down and there there are some artists who i think they maybe could have superseded even on this stage but you know they're on tiny music which went pla you know double platinum uh, I think they bring some sleazy rock and roll swagger but they're not going to be as big a draw as the later artists on this stage but again party central it's going to be lovely not as much of a party as The Offspring who did play the original one yeah yeah keeping The Offspring from the original lineup I mean yeah you know like they were on fucking everyone loved The Offspring back in those days they were man. on Americana it was five times platinum on its own you know they were at their absolute commercial peak and by this point they've got a huge set of anthems to go in necks and beers to on a sunny day because uh, I, well I think you should take it as read that Steve and I will logistically organise this festival so everyone's got enough food and water so yeah. that's fine yeah yeah, that, that's, yeah that's quite fine. important yes yeah, I mean, that's why my lineup's so weird. I put so much effort into making the festival run properly. So, um, Now, my contentious choice, not just where, well, where they are, because some people want them way higher, some people don't won't want them there at all. You'll love it. Uh -huh. They're on the singles 86 to 98, Depeche Mode. Oh, yes. I know that they old hat at this point, but, you know, they're on a best of. They're on a singles collection and yeah. as we discussed on our writers review they're on ultra which is a kind of a much more industrialized and much more i think obviously dark record so i think it fits in well to my sub headliner 
my final subheadliner of Woodstock 99. They played in 94, but I'm going to have nine inch nails back. Good shout, that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Downward Spiral, one of the most critically adored albums of the 1990s. Massive success. Um, they played this slot at 94. Why not have them do it again? I mean, you could say, why wouldn't they headline? But, I mean, you know, and to be fair, any other year in my fancy festival, they would have headlined. But, but you've picked Creed, haven't you? You've picked Creed, yes. yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you love Scott Stamp. No, even even Trent Reznor would bow down to my headliner, which is David Bowie. Fuck me, that is great. That is a great fucking mm. last day, man. So David Bowie, you know, he's on Earthling, which I was shocked to see. He actually got to 39 in the US Billboard, which I know is mm. not a number one album, but like fucking David Bowie in the 90s, getting that high in the US, um, especially on his kind of weird industrial album. Um, but, I mean, it's Bowie, you know, absolute legend status. And fortunately, you've kind of backed yourself into a corner steve because you said earlier if bowie plays he doesn't not headlines that's like well you've justified it for i agree i agree i i I, I can't i mean yeah when you said it i was like well you know i didn't pick and i I did actually think as i said it i was like well is that true of bowie but then i was like yeah it would be wouldn't it it would be i mean like he wasn't as big in the 90s at this point no he was definitely in a kind of commercial slump but the thing is again you get him out to do a great hit set i mean imagine the final song you hear of woodstock 99 heroes Mm. like that's going to be, you know, embedded in your brain for the rest of your life, even if you just watch the TV broadcast of it. That is a good Sunday you've got there. Fucking hell. Go on, run us down the old, uh, the full lineup for uh, for the Sunday. Uh, so it'd be Rancid into Stone Temple Pilots, The Offspring, Depeche Mode, Nine Inch Nails and David Bowie. I tell you what, Offspring feeling massively out of place at that, aren't they? Oh, I suppose they're not, are they? Not against Rancid, Rancid and Stone yeah, Temple yeah, Pilots. No, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the the second half is definitely the electro half, but I think it is, you know, they're all big hitters. They're all selling a lot of albums at this point. So that's mm. my through line on that stage. Well, there you go. Look, I don't know if it would have solved any of the problems that beset some of the tragic shit that happened at Woodstock 99. But obviously the booking has been talked about a lot and i'm just looking actually at the lineup and when you think you know again it's hard to book a festival i'm sure it's very very hard to book a festival but when you're looking at shit like i mean live on the main stage jamiroquai oleander the insane clown posse yeah buck cherry uh, you know i can understand why they booked kid rock i can understand why they booked counting crows dave matthews band alanis morissette I can even understand Biscuit and Rage and Metallica. Like, Wycliffe? Why, 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 Wycliffe and not Lauren Hill? You know, you back the wrong fucking horse there, yeah. lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely back the wrong horse. And then, you know, when you go down to the, the Sunday and you've got like Creed. I know Creed were massive. Like Creed subbing the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Megadeth headlining the world. Like, in what world do you need Megadeth yeah, what, in Why are Megadeth there? 99, in Megadeth yeah. and Godsmack and, and Seven Dust. Like, again, I know Seven Dust were very big. In America, I get it, right? I've got no beef really with Seven Dust, but come on, you can do better than that, surely. It feels weird. And then that's why you get... Like, bless bloody Elvis Costello stuck on that... What's Elvis Costello thinking when he's on that bill? He must be like, what, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, it's mad. So yeah. I think, you know, the, the, the organisers, obviously, by booking people like James Brown, Elvis Costello, um, you know the willie nelson and those kind of artists 
you look at it and you go, yeah, I can kind of see what you're doing. Like Cheryl, look at poor bloody Cheryl Crow stuck between Jamiroquai Live, DMX, Offspring, Corn, and Bush. Stinker for her. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, why the fuck would you ask the insane clown posse? Why? I know they were big, but really, like, it's Woodstock. Come on, lads. Yeah. Come on. You know, this was a, that was a silly... I'm not saying that's what resulted in all the trouble or anything like that, but I do think, I do really think that it lacks cohesion and it lacks an identity that Woodstock 99 lineup. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that that's what led to all of the problems at all, but I don't necessarily think that it helped itself really. But then, you know, maybe that was, we've just sort of proven that there are many, many artists who surely would have been available. You would think for something as big as Woodstock 99, mm. you would think that they were, available at least some of those artists were available there are a few there where i'm going where i'm like this feels like a fucking no-brainer but there you go anyway thanks very much for listening everyone i hope you enjoyed the show hope you enjoyed me and sam's booking do let us know on our socials who you think came out on top of that fantasy booking was it me was it sam or if you're really some kind of weird sadist was it the original were you are you sitting there going well no dave matthews band no kid rock well i'm not gonna <laughs> this shit fuck you oh, where's, where's lit um <laughs> I, need, I need moby uh yeah so you know do let us know um which of the lineups you would prefer and maybe we'll pick another historical festival one day to rebook and see if we can improve uh in some way that's what we might do i'm sure anyway thanks very much for listening everyone next week um oh i'm gonna see the prodigy twice this week i think it's twice at oh, least lovely. once anyway so i'll be talking about the prodigy next week the prodigy are back of sorts it's going to be an emotional one i would imagine since it's their first tour without keith it's going to be interesting so i'll report back and let you know what happened go over to arctangent.co.uk forward slash tickets put right act atg into the checkout you get 10 percent off a ticket for a very very fine festival which we don't need to rebook because they've fantasy booked it in real life They've done all the things that you would need to do to make a festival good. So we'll see you there. And uh, also go to patreon.com forward slash right podcast. You can sign up for all of our exclusive content, including a Evil Empire by Rage Against the Machine classic album coming very soon. Cheers for listening, everyone. Thanks, Sam. It's been lovely chatting to you, mate. Thank you, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and I'd just like to say thank you to the listeners. They've been really, really kind and receptive. Uh, maybe not after this week, you know neurosis and all that well true enough uh but yeah no it's been absolutely lovely um yeah thank you to everyone who's tuned in and put up with me filling in for renfrey and thank you to Stephen renfrey for for asking me to be a part of it it's been a real pleasure our pleasure as well mate see you very very soon cheers guys bye-bye <laughs>